How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. It's not rain. And if you're wondering, are we at the part of the season where the weather absolutely impacts everybody's mood? We are there. We are there. We took cold and and somewhat rainy, but it feels like tropical 46 right now. I don't know why I'm giving you all the weather, so instead I'm going to say, hi, Daryl Ryder. How you doing, buddy? That's all right. Baskin starts every show with it. Oh, man. Am I turning into Andy? Well, you are a dad. You are middle-aged. That's true. I'm on the I'm on the other side of middle-aged. Wait till you start talking about Travis and uh, Jason Kelsey. That's how, if, if, guys, this is a very serious request. If at any point I start giving a daily update on the Kelsey's, give me the old yeller treatment. Just come in. Don't tell me. <laughs> Like maybe give me a give me some candy or give me something to eat and then just s- send Lenny to the rabbits, okay? Like just just let's peace out. It's okay. I'm not gonna be mad. My family's got an insurance claim coming their way. Everybody's gonna be happier this way. But the the jail time just wouldn't be worth it. I I realize I'd be doing you the solid by giving you the old yellow treatment. Well, just be but- better at cr- killing people. Like I mean. It can't be that hard. So what you're saying is I should practice first before you. Well, I mean, now it sounds like I'm becoming a co-conspirator here. <laughs> I'm just saying there are uh, there's there's a segment of Clevelanders that may or may not be in a secret club that might have an Omuerta or something like that that have been getting away with these kind of deeds for about 100 years in Cleveland. So well, I feel like if they can get away with it, maybe go there, talk with them, making an offer they can't refuse, and then we see from there. So what's the weather supposed to be like tomorrow since we're on the weather? No, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. It's definitely going to happen, though. (laughs) Weather and traffic on the 10 right here on the fan. Um, But we can take the the temperature on the Browns offensive coordinator search, Daryl. No, how you doing, buddy, by the way? I'm good. Feeling good? Was was over at the stadium for the uh, the Billy Joel Rod Stewart concert announcement. Very good. September 13th. You know, it's funny. I really want to make fun of that, but the problem is I'm going to see Aerosmith at some point this year, (laughs) and I really like – and honestly, are so, you going to see the Stones too? So I, I, I'm trying to keep it to one geriatric band <laughs> a, a year. I'm trying to see bands I haven't seen before. Okay. But like, I, I'm pretty cool with Aerosmith. Like, hey man, I saw them like two times when I was in high school when they were like one of my favorite bands. Yeah. Um, they're no longer one of my favorite bands. Other bands have kind of grown up around them. They've gotten progressively older and necessarily haven't aged well. But Vanessa, when she heard that we were promoing. Uh, Aerosmith tickets on this station. She's like, Nick, we gotta go. And I just, it's walk this way. I just, I just love the woman. And I was like, you know what? Or did the, you tell her to dream on? I have so many jokes. You, I'm you, not you, doing it. I was gonna make a living on the edge joke. I, nope, I'm not <laughs> doing it. I'm not engaging in this kind of chicanery here to start the show. Hey, you asked for it. That is fair. I did mention Aerosmith. Yes, you and- did. 
Oh, them's the breaks. Um, so, no. So, we've got a lot going on. Obviously, you've heard in Meredith King's 2020s, um, not only are the Browns uh, interviewing Brian Johnson, the former Eagles uh, offensive coordinator, but they're also, they requested to interview Kellen Moore. And it's funny, I like, there are so many names in this search right now. Um, I I want to say the official guys that have officially been interviewed were at like six or seven. A guy like Andy Dickerson, who could be a fallback for like Bill Callahan. All this stuff's going on. Which, by the way, they may not need. We'll see. I am hoping that that is correct. I actually did want to get your take at some point in this hour on something that was said on this show yesterday, not by Mir Dustin, but by Ross Tucker. But we're okay. going to save that for the next segment. Okay. Because I always like reacting to what other people have to say. That is honestly 99% of the show yes. is reacting, <laughs> you know. And then they'll react to what we had to say. I feel like I'm back in high school. Hey, did you hear so-and-so said this? Oh, no, that's 100% what sports talk <laughs> is. That's, and by the way, it's not just sports talk. I'm aware. It is just Cle- – it, yes. I almost said it's Cleveland media. It's not fair. It's all, all media. media. Like the amount of sassy little bees in just in media, of which point I can be triggered into that. And I'm not the only one. I'm a member too. So, but yeah. like, And the funny thing is, like, we love firing bombs at other people. <laughs> And then when somebody fires a bomb at us, we're like, why'd you do that? I thought we were friends. That's why I just have decided to have no emotions and see where it goes from there. And it works out pretty well. You've, yeah. you've, you've, joined, you've joined my club. You just become dead inside. Yes, exactly. And honestly, a lot happier. A lot happier. I mean, again, a lot of that happiness is muted because I am in dead inside. But eh, if, if, if nothing matters, then nothing matters, right? Not to go full Metallica, but that's nothing yeah. else matters. Um, I realized something, though. I was trying to figure out in, like, the pantheon of names that we've gotten so far. And I was trying to, like, point to, like, which one. Like, who's the Jim Schwartz of this year? Because last year, like, I know Sean Desai was in it. There were a couple yeah. other names. And we all, I, I think in the beginning stages, we all kind of had, like, a guy but as time went on last January, we kind of – a majority of Clevelanders settled on Jim Schwartz. Right. And a lot of it was experience. He could be the defensive head coach, all this kind of stuff. Won a Super Bowl with the Eagles. Yes. Everywhere he goes, his defenses improve and perform. I, I and like the wide to, nine and, element to it as well, yeah. the, the wide nine defense. And, well, and here's the other thing. He also had the connection to kind of Cleveland that I think some people just kind of gravitated. It didn't matter as much to me, but the right. fact that he had – you know, that's where his coaching career began in the NFL, I think, helped for some people. Right. But I was, like, trying to figure out, like, okay, who do I want? And I realized that this is, as of currently constructing, this isn't a criticism, by the way. It's just to say that the crop of candidates is right. kind of all uniquely imperfect, right. each from one to one, that there's not one guy that if you said right now, if these are the guys that are going to get hired, who's the guy? Right. I don't think I could have a guy of the current list, even though I think they all, if you squint hard enough, look like they could be a guy in the future. I don't have a guy. Yeah. I, I really don't. And um, I don't know if the Browns, right, as we have this discussion right now, I don't know that the Browns have a guy. Mm -hmm. It feels to me like they are, pardon the cliche, but I think we've covered had plenty of those in the first segment here. Um, they're <laughs> casting a wide net. Mm -hmm. And also, too, Part of the interview process is you will pe you'll speak to people that you know going in, you probably aren't going to hire them. Mm -hmm. But you want to pick their brain. You want to get their thoughts on things. And they might give you something to think about that you hadn't before that interview. So 
Um, but yeah, I, I don't feel like that the Browns have a guy that they have zeroed in on and, that, and that's their guy. I kind of feel like they're just casting a wide net, speaking to a bunch of different people, mm-hmm. and then trying to figure out who's going to fit best, not just with Kevin Stefanski, but with Deshaun Watson. Well, and I think I actually want to give them credit for the idea of of casting a wide net. You know, that was something that they had kind of disseminated to reporters. We're going to cast a wide net. And and honestly, teams say that with every search. Yeah, every and team that, says it, it. They don't say, "Well, you know, we're only going to talk to like one guy." Yeah. We we we've got one guy in mind. We're going to we're going to interview one guy for the Rooney rule and then we're going to hire somebody. No, everybody kind of so it's it's almost like it's such a cliche that it feels like a lie when teams say it. Although I'll say I don't think that the Chargers cashed a wide net for their uh head coaching search. It was Harbaugh's job to lose. I'm so and by the way, I am torn on that. We're going to be talking Jim Costa of 971 the fan uh, won the ticket in Detroit in this hour. We're going to talk with him about it, about just Harbaugh moving on the state of Michigan and all that. But I, I am such a fan at like, no, talk to everybody. What's the worst thing that can happen at the same point? This is the one coaching cycle where it's like Harbaugh, Belichick, Vrabel. Uh, there's one name I've already forgotten. Um, Harbaugh, Belichick, Vrabel. There's one more. It's oh Pete Carroll. And I'm like, if you just came out and you're like, hey, guys, we, uh, we we conducted three interviews via virtual and then we just hired Pete Carroll, I don't know you could gripe about it. Like when you when you automatically go, I'm going to hire Ben Johnson, who hasn't been a head coach before, and he was just the guy, it's a little sickening. When it's Bobby Slowick, it's a little sickening. As a guy that's got a ring or a guy that's been in an, uh, an AFC title game, it, it, it does hit a little different. And I'm actually surprised at the way – this coaching cycle is gone. We talked a little bit about this at the end of yesterday's show. Like, I'm not surprised Canales just got the uh, the the Carolina job. They weren't going to go for a veteran coach. But like Atlanta, and who really wants that job at this point? Yeah, no, that's that's a real that's I a mean, real fair point. I mean, that's they Tepper has become what Jimmy was. I kind, kind of, of feel the like they just hired Freddie Kitchens. I actually think the Canales thing lines up with with Kevin Stefanski. Okay. As a guy who just kind of had to make his bones across right. a decade in the NFL and then just got the right opportunity and who actually might be a better hire than all the Wunderkins. Or Rob Chudzinski or Mike Pettin where like he's Oof. the eighth guy down on the list. He's the one and, guy that was willing to take the job. <laughs> and Mike Pettin had a chance, man. Like, he did. He, really, he was I, such a good dude. Until the guys selling jerseys in the team shops told him they... He had to start Johnny Manziel. Things were going great. It was the homeless guy. It was marketing people. I do like the idea that it was all one guy. Like maybe I've watched too many Dana Carvey movies where he plays the, like twelve characters, what? or Mike Myers moves where he's like twelve characters, and he's like, wait, the homeless guy was also the head of marketing, <laughs> and he was also somebody that was like a yes. like a teenage woman that worked in the the team shop. How does that even happen? What a yes, performance! I know. Um, but getting back to the brown side of things. Like, I think each one of these candidates are a, oh, I kind of get that. Like, it's funny. Like, I think you're going to be fighting a perceptional battle no matter who you hire if these are what, if one of these guys is the guy. Like, I love the idea of Brian Johnson because of his pedigree, of of where he's gone. He was in the spread in Florida with Dan Mullen. He's been in Philly. And like, yeah, last year didn't go the way that it should have gone, but it's one year. It's one year, small sample size, his first time calling plays in the pros, and I would trust Kevin to give this guy a chance. Well, and I don't know that if he comes here, he's going to be calling plays anyway. Well, and and not immediately. Maybe that's something you can grow to over time. 
So that's a situation. Yeah, but where, I'll say this. Alex Van Pelt didn't grow into that. That is also fair. But like Kellen Moore. Like Kellen Moore has the the love of Jerry Jones. He has this this reputation as an offensive mastermind, but look at what he did in Dallas as the play caller and look right. at what he did in, in LA. Eh, not really all that impressive. And so and and by the way, none of this means these dudes can't coach. It's a perceptional thing. Right. The NFL is so much based on who you are and the perception of you. A year ago, Dave Canales was not sniffing an, an NFL job because the perception is, well, he hasn't called plays. He right. hasn't really stood out in Seattle. Who the F is that guy? Right. And, I mean, I think you even go to, like, like the perception of Mike Vrabel a year ago. If Mike Vrabel had been a free agent a year ago, Mike Vrabel would have had his pick of any jobs. A second straight disappointing year later, and he might not get a coaching job in this cycle, which is insane to me. Because he was one of the anointed just a year ago, right? <laughs> yeah, but that's how. But here's the thing: that's how it works in the NFL, though. One year you're hot, and the next year you're not. Like I, I mean, it, it's and it's a very incestuous business. Who's worked with who, and who knows who's dad, and and stuff like that. Which is why we have the conversation about you know Callahan going to you know, play with us because everyone just assumes mm-hmm. because this kid's got a head coaching job now that means Bill's going to leave and, and 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 go work for his son and. You know, maybe that, hate to shock people, maybe that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Maybe that won't happen. I mean, we don't know yet, but there's a chance that it he's going to stay here in Cleveland, right? Um, but th- that's just how the, the NFL works, um, even from a personnel standpoint, right? Um, you, you go back and you look at the coaches and the GMs just, just taking the Browns mm-hmm. and the various – all, all the coaches and GMs, what do they do? They go out and get all the players that they used to coach or or they scouted or they drafted or signed as free agents or whatever, right? Happens all the time. Like, the NFL is the ultimate relationships business. I would say, I mean, I think, I think actually, ironically, a criticism I have of Sports Talk Radio is it's the same damn thing. But, like, I mean, I, I think that's just kind of prev- – honestly, it's all, what's surprising about the NFL is it's always been that way. Yeah. And football has always been that way. Whereas, like in, like in other sports, that group think or that incestuousness has come about because of the rise in the corporate entity. Right. Like the 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 corporate influence on other sports, football was way ahead of it. Of my guy, I know this guy. I once had dinner with this guy. That kind of thing. Two one six four seven four double oh nine two. We want to get your thoughts on. Is there a number one candidate right now? Is there or who do you see as your Jim Schwartz of this? So even though there isn't a number one guy, an obvious guy right now of the guys the Browns have been interviewing, we will get into who we think might make the best hire here. I will say, I think you and I were talking about the perceptional problem with any of these candidates. Like the one that I, the, the perception that I actually shouldn't be bugged by but I absolutely am is the Clint Kubiak one yeah where where it's just it's so overt (laughs) of well your dad was a mentor to me and now I'm gonna bring you on and it shouldn't bug me because this is just we talked about in the last segment it just is the NFL that is the world of the NFL who you know and who you've coached or who your dad coached or coached with or played for I mean that that's and here's the thing too is is Behind it, it's more also not just about the job itself, but it's how you fit in in the building as well. What yeah. type of personality do you have? What how do you fit with the other coaches, and then obviously with 
being the you know the, the person that's the boss, right? In this case, it's Kevin Stefanski. So all of that stuff matters, right? Mm-hmm. Are, are you willing to not worry about Kevin's calling the plays? Yeah. Are, are you willing to be in brainstorming sessions and breaking down film and brainstorm the upcoming game plan and help with self-scout and, you know what I'm saying, and put together the drills that we're going to do in practice and, you know, reps and who's getting what reps and how many of them and stuff like basically the, you know, the stuff that quite frankly, Kevin Stefanski shouldn't bother himself with. Right. I mean, at this point, Kevin, all he should be bothering himself with is, aside from the actual overall administrative uh, administration, I should say, of the staff as well as the locker room mm-hmm. on Sundays is, you know, calling the plays because that's his job and, and managing the game. We When we going to take timeouts? When we going to go for it? We going to challenge? You know, whatever, right? We going to do a fake here, catch the opposition off, off guard? We going to do some trickeration? Whatever, Right. That's all he should have to concern himself with. And, and so you you have to have people that not just say yeah. they're willing to do something, right? I mean, we've all been around the people that, and it's one of the things that just annoys me to no end sometimes is when people tell you what you want to hear. Yeah. And you're like, okay, cool. And then they go and do the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. And, and the they, follow through. And yeah. they don't follow through. And they half egg it. Mm-hmm. We're on afternoon drive and not at nine o'clock at night. So <laughs> you say half ass, you know. Yeah. But that's that drives me to no end. Like, take some pride in what you do. Mm-hmm. You know, well, care about what you do well, and how you do it and how it's perceived by those that work around you. And so that stuff, though, those little like it sounds like little minutia, but I'm telling you, in the NFL, man, that stuff matters a lot and. It's when we talk about relationships and stuff like that. Yeah. Kevin Stefanski's got to remember some low level film guy from 15 years ago that he worked with with the Vikings because that was the dude that was in the building at 3 a.m. And that was the dude that wasn't allowed to leave the building until 10 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. And he had to get up and do it all over again. So, it, you know what I'm saying? Like, and that's where all the, you know, so. I don't. That's why I don't get too worked up about the whole relationship thing. And look, that's usually the first thing we do, right? I mean, that's the first thing I once they made the change from uh, Alex Van Pelt, right? First thing I was looking at, all right, who has done anything for Deshaun Watson in his life? Mm-hmm. Like, who has that relationship with that guy to be able to come in and coach him hard or coach him up, right? Or get in Kevin's ear and say, "This is the stuff that my dude likes." Well, and, and I think I think as we're having this conversation, I think to me the number one thing I'd like to see is a guy that comes in and could take the play calling off of Kevin Stefanski's plate. I don't think that is the 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 greater emphasis, but just in terms of giving Kevin the option, I like the idea. It didn't feel like he had a guy on staff that he he trusted. Drew Petzing previously, the guys he just let go. Also, Alex Van Pelt, T.C. McCartney, those kind of guys. So I think that's a big part. But the second thing beyond that is I do like the idea, Daryl, of that that Shanahan. You you kind of mentioned it in your your soliloquy there about the the brainstorming. 
where you just get a lot of guys who know ball and they're just a lot of young, hungry assistant yep. coaches. And like those staffs in Washington had McVay, they had Kyle Shanahan, they had at least one LaFleur at a time. <laughs> and they, you know, they had all these guys who, you know, uh, Richard Hightower, they had all these guys that it was, it was really like a group think of football. And I think what better way to advance the staff when you have an offensive head coach, you couldn't really do that defensively because right. Jim Schwartz is the defensive, you know, like it, it's just not set up the same way. Well, Offensively. Look, I think that's, that's almost, that to me is as good as, Oh, I just hired Bobby Slowick right. or I just hired whatever it coach just had lunch with Sean McVay. Like that idea of we're going to build kind of a super staff, even if that, so, so the number one thing is play calling, but if that doesn't happen, that next rung down of, all right, this dude's just a really smart football guy, and he can grow into something. I think there's a value yeah. in having coaches that can grow into something, and I think you saw maybe that's why four years in, Kevin is finally overhauling that offensive staff because it just felt, for whatever reason, the guys here either had maxed out or maybe weren't part of like what he thought made a lot of sense to, right. to have that ability to grow into the play caller one day or to be the guy five years from now that's the play caller or the guy that leads you, you know, all that little kind of stuff that does matter. Yeah, and sometimes you have to take a step back to take two steps forward um, or, you know, to, to, to shake things up a little bit and, and, and change things. Um, I mean, look, Mike McDaniel and Kyle Shanahan were here in Cleveland. <laughs> Think about that, right? Mm -hmm. Two of the best NFL head coaches in the game right now Used to be with the Cleveland Browns. I mean, back in the nineties, it was you know Bill Belichick was head coach. Nick Saban was his defensive coordinator, right? Two of the greatest, arguably two of the greatest coaches in their respective levels of all time. Nick Saban at the college level, Belichick at, at the NFL level. We're here in Cleveland, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the Browns have like themselves have had a lot of really good football people. Go through that building, and Shane Steichen, who's now the Indy coach, he was here with Norv Turner <laughs> yeah. in 2013. I mean, you know, it, it, it's just, it, it's amazing the cycle of the league, and it almost seems like a rite of pat. You have to go through, right? Because the Browns used to just turn out coaching staffs like you couldn't believe. Yep. Thankfully, that has now ended, and it and it's real stable, and it's it's real. Um, uh, not as chaotic as it as it once was, right? We're, we're sitting here thinking about okay, not is Kevin Stefanski getting a contract extension, but how many years are going to be attached to said contract extension, right? Same yeah. thing for Andrew Barry and stuff like that. But I, the thing that I really like about Kevin, aside from he is the antithesis of me, and he is just the same no matter what's going on. The water is not shaken. Mm -hmm. you, 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 he is the same guy, level-headed, all that. Um, but also, too, he's not stuck in his way. Mm -hmm. You know, look at last year. I mean, if he wanted to fight for Joe Woods, I'm sure he could have. If he wanted to fight for Mike Prefer, I'm sure he really could have. But he recognized, hey, those are two areas that, you know, yeah, the offense wasn't great, but we know the circumstances of why the offense didn't peak in the 2022 season. But that wasn't our problem. Our problem was our defense couldn't stop anybody. And our special teams couldn't do anything. Okay, well, right now, looking at the marketplace, eh, not much is there for special. We're gonna we'll we'll stay there for a minute. But I have to make a coordinator change on defense first and foremost, and get that done. And he gets Jim Schwartz, mm -hmm. then gets the whiff that oh, I could possibly get Bubba Ventrone to take over for special. All right, let's go ahead and do that because it makes us better. And that's I mean, 
how can you not like and respect that if you're a Browns fan? That you have a head coach that isn't willing just to rest on his laurels or isn't willing to accept mediocrity, right? He is willing to make changes that he believes will carry this thing forward and then hopefully those changes lead to them getting to and hopefully winning a Super Bowl someday. But you saw the tangible results this past season from his willingness to make those changes. The defense went from a bottom third in just about every meaningful statistic last year. Now they're top third and in some categories, number one. Number one overall ranked defense, first time in the Super Bowl era. You got to go back to 1955. The NFL doesn't even recognize when the Browns won championships. It's been that long. But you have to go that far back before when the Browns led the NFL in overall defense. I looked at last year is your chance to supercharge your defensive and special teams staffs. <laughs> I'm just getting choked up. I'm so excited about it. And now it feels like this year is the opportunity to do the same thing on the offense. Like, okay, well, I got that squared away. Now I can turn my sights to the offense here. We're going to actually save because I have a name. I actually do have a name right now that I am – that I think I'd be most you have comfortable a guy. with. I have a guy. You have a guy. I got a guy that I'm most comfortable with as a potential offensive coordinator. Great guy. He's a host on 97 Won the Ticket in Detroit, part of the Cash the Ticket podcast as well. And Jim Costa now joins us on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. What's up, buddy? Welcome to the show. Hey, what's going on? What do you guys want to talk about? Well, I mean, you kind of have, for uh, so long, Cleveland tends to have the giving tree of just <laughs> things that happen somehow always involve Cleveland. And right now, everything's coming up Detroit. You got the Lions in the uh, in the NFC title game. The Pistons are so booty that it's national news. Like, that's wild. Think about how bad you have to be in the NBA for anybody to pay attention to you. The Cavs were there once. The ca- I remember the days. Oh, the lottery days. The, the extreme tanking days. And then, obviously, Michigan leaving. So, what I'm saying is I'm jealous of you, Jim. It's an amazing – I was just telling your screener, this is such a great time for us locally. We have no shortage of things and mostly good things to talk about. So I'm curious whether Lions fans are expecting a win this weekend. I would tell you Lions fans continue to find ways to believe this week because why wouldn't you? This season has been a long time coming, and nobody wants to hear that it's going to end. It's Yeah, I mean, listen, everybody knows what the spread is, but people are pointing out, hey – you can run on the edges against San Francisco. And uh, what, what about if we can dial up the pressure and get Purdy looking like he did last week? Oh, people are working themselves up for this. I mean, and again, one win away from the Super Bowl. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, Dan Campbell just has that big personality. It also helps he's built like a tank. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, we see big personalities in the NFL. They, they, tend to, they tend to run hot and go cold real quick. Why has Dan Campbell worked so well with the Lions? Because it it doesn't feel like he's going to go cold up there. Like just he just he seems like the perfect coach for that team. Why has he worked so well with this uh, Lions team? I think he's more than meets the eye. I think surface level, he's meathead, right? Decap guy, opening press conference, grumbly football guy. A lot of his decision making, game day, fourth down short yardage it's backed by personnel it's backed by data right you look at him and think oh he's a man's man he he's emotional he'll cry I mean there's there's a a personal depth to him and I think I think people realize like he's he's a real guy you want to follow because he's authentic 
How do you think the, the Lions match up against the 49ers in this game? Oh, it's so tough. Everything I love about the Lions' offense, it's, it's physical, it's creative, it's explosive, and San Francisco does it the same and measurably just a tick better, right? Every category, points, yards, red zone, third down, everything, rushing, everything. So you go, okay, well, uh, maybe we call it a push. They're the two best NFC offenses, kind of mirror images of each other. There's not a Fred Warner on Detroit's defense. Detroit doesn't have a defense the way San Francisco does. So you're going to have to win turnover margin. You're going to have to uh, you're going to have to scheme up something and catch them off guard here. There's a reason to spread seven. I mean, San Francisco is a complete football team, and you don't get the home field advantage that's been Ford Field the last two weeks, which has been incredible. Yeah. Um... Brad Holmes has done such a great job uh, in the front office putting that team together, but you have a former Cleveland Brown executive up there, John Dorsey. I remember when the Browns hired Mm -hmm. him uh, here in Cleveland. I mean, the team literally could not win a game. Um, Does does he still say buddy? Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details boy by the way because that was my favorite thing he did here <laughs> and have the cutoff sweatshirt too yes. right are they are they selling john dorsey Lions sweatshirts in the team shop like they did here in you cleveland <laughs> it, it's, it's funny you bring him up because he doesn't come up all that often here and i think it's 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 a front office it's mike disner is in the front office he interviewed for the carolina general manager job uh, of course brad holmes gets the headlines chris spielman former lions linebacker has a role in the organization and, and uh, you mentioned Dorsey. I knew he was there, but we haven't talked about him in a long time. But, yes, he's another guy in there. But it just gets lost because there's so much love to, to give to this 
this organization from the top down right now. He's he's old school and just no not that guy can play, that guy can't play. He's good. He stinks like that. That's Dorsey. Like when he's watching Phil, that's how yeah, it is. And also, <laughs> if any of the front office guys we've ever had here will bite kneecaps, it's John friggin' Dorsey. Thank you very much. Jim Costa on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. So much has been made of 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 Jared Goff. And, you know, he was cast aside in kind of a callous manner by Sean McVay. When that guy uh, gets rid of a quarterback, it's, it's it's the weirdest kiss of death you can have. In that first year in Detroit, there was not a lot of winning. The numbers look okay. Then last year, there's a perceived step forward. And then this year, I mean, he looks like a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. I'm curious. Does that track? Is, is he... Has he grown as a quarterback, or is this simply they just got better talent around him and he's been in that system for three years? I think it's a little bit of both. I, I think all quarterbacks are a product of their surroundings to an extent. In Detroit, for years, there was a, a debate locally. Stafford, is it his fault that they waste him? And there wasn't the level of support in Detroit during the Stafford years that there is with Jared Goff. This offensive line has three first-rounders up front. Uh, on, the, on the offensive line. They've got Amon Ross St. Brown, who's an all-pro at receiver. Uh, they're just better run, better culturally. And I think Goff, I think he benefits from that, but I also don't want to sell him short. He's part of that culture. He is a resilient dude with with what happened in Los Angeles to get written out of the Hollywood script and they go on and win a Super Bowl. And you're, you know, you're the bridge guy. You're the Band-Aid guy. You're the temporary guy until they find somebody better. Oh, unless you become somebody better. And I want to give him all the credit in the world. People here love Jared Goff because he does embody, despite the fact he's not a Detroiter, he's kind of an honorary Detroiter. You'd think, oh, California pretty boy. No, he, he, he got his hands dirty. He came here when it wasn't convenient, wasn't easy, when he had to pick himself up, and he has. Jim Costa, 97 won the ticket up in Detroit joining us. Uh, you know, Jim Harbaugh going to the Chargers is the, I think, the least surprising news uh, ever. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, this this had been percolating uh, since uh, December. Um, congratulations, I guess, getting out of there before the NCAA comes in and wipes out the football program. I am on an Ohio radio station, aren't I? I yes, you are. Seen that we, one yes. <laughs> we we you gave you the okie doke there. We gave you about six nice questions before we hit you with the uh, the D comment. <laughs> No, we talked a lot about, you know, the NCAA and, and how the perception and, and the reality, and what they did, what they got away with. And yet at the end of the day, if you win a national championship, you go 15-0 and 0 and bludgeon everybody you play, um, I think you'll take whatever repercussions come. And in the case of Harbaugh, he avoids them altogether and he gets to go chase the championship. Juice worth the squeeze, right? Yeah. I mean, the timing couldn't have been better for – for him, too, you think about it. You're in your 60s. It's a young man's game, the coaching game. You want one more crack at it. You won three straight Big Ten titles. You win a national title, and it's the perfect time to leave. Is it as simple as this is Sharon Moore's job? To me, it is. I can't, like, report that. I'm sure you guys will send out a bulletin. The, 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 the Costa reports. I don't have any yeah, Keith is tweeting while I'm listening to you talking, by yeah. the way. So you, you, got, you, you got one by us. It's cool. But, uh, yeah, I think I think that's the way it's, it's going to go. He's offensive line guy, played offensive line at Oklahoma, offensive line coach to OC at Michigan. And and a big reason why they beat the Buckeyes the last three years is trenches and toughness, and, and he is one of the guys at the center of that. So you get a young coach, high-energy coach, who was the game day coach for the Penn State and Ohio State wins, and you feel like, yeah, keep this thing rolling in the trenches first. Jerome Moore would be the guy to do it. Uh, is, is is Sharon Moore being born on third base? 
Ah, there it is. There it is. Well, if he fails, you know how quickly things will turn. I mean, I, we we will use that against him. Although, in fairness, Ohio State fans did use "born on third base" Jim Harbaugh's words <laughs> against Ryan Day this year. So, I, I guess we're not just going to internalize that. I'm just curious about the situation Jim leaves behind. Like, is this mm-hmm. as simple as you know Sharon is walking into that gold mine? I mean, I think it is a real question. Like, is he being born on third base, or is this a more difficult job? to take over right now than it appears. Well, I think college football is changing, right? So the Big Ten is going to be bigger. It's going to be tougher. Uh, You can probably lose an extra game and still make the playoffs, so I suppose that's built in. But there's going to be a lot of games on the schedule, especially this upcoming year, Texas in the non-conference. And you you get probably that first year to try to build off of the success of a national title. But college football is so year-to-year – Two years in, three years in, I mean, it's 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 your show for better or worse. And in terms of the roster and how he inherits it, I mean, you lose Blake Corum, you lose J.J. McCarthy, you lose some critical pieces up front on the offensive line. I think they'll bring back quite a few guys on defense, and they'll still be in the Big Ten picture uh, probably right at the top. But sustainability, it's a total unknown with a new coach. Jim, you know, what makes Ohio State-Michigan so such a great rivalry, uh, aside from the, the trash talk, just – the schools play it seemed to play for something every year and yeah. with you know with the expansion of the Big 10 right the expansion of the college football playoff um do you think the lessening of the significance of Ohio State v Michigan uh will affect the rivalry itself if is that if that makes sense right i mean this year it was winner was going to the college football playoff and the loser was you know having to you know light church candles hoping that they can still get in and things like that but like it with everything being expanded like you said now you can lose an extra game and probably still have a shot to win the big 10 or get into the college football playoffs so with all this expansion and consolidation that's going on in college football how much is that going to kind of diminish the heat and the fun of this rivalry yeah i mean a couple things it's always going to be hatred it's always going to be a rivalry. You're going to have people from Michigan that hate people from Ohio and vice versa. Um, but at the same time, we can all acknowledge the stakes of the game were probably at its highest last year. And I, we've had conversations locally on the radio up here about, would you ever move the game? I know that's sacrilegious, but the idea being, if you play it in October, it, it may mean a little more than if you play it at the end of the season and things are already sort of decided divisionally for the conference championship game. I know we're going away from divisions, but but I think there's a question of how do you still preserve as much of this game's greatness and hatred as you can. And I don't know where you guys stand on it. Would you want to move the game up earlier in the season to avoid some of the foregone conclusionness if it goes that route? I, not- I do not. I, I, I need it in that weekend in November. It vexes me the idea of moving it. I, I'm the guy that hates the fact that the Rose Bowl is no longer the Pac-10 and Big Ten winner. Like I, I'm very I, traditional. I, I, yeah, I, I am like, I, I just, I grew up with it. Like I, and I understand that you have to evolve and, and morph with the times and things like that. But I miss those days. I, I can't lie. I, I miss, uh, you know, Ohio state and Michigan playing for, you know, the right to go to Pasadena to play the yeah. winner of the, uh, you know, the, the pack 10 and stuff like that. I'm going to miss that. But at the same time, I, I am kind of excited now. Cause all right, well, if the playoff football format that's going to be in place next year was in place this past season, well, I'm, I'm not as angry that Ohio State lost to Michigan because the Buckeyes would still be in the playoff. <laughs> right. Jim, I got to ask you, Alex Orgy likely taking over for J.J. McCarthy. Over under two and a half Orgy puns per show 
next football season? <laughs> per show, as per- in like like more than ten a week? Yes. Oh, I'm going under. I mean, we have childlike humor here, but ten, you think we're going eleven orgy puns in a week? I'll be honest with you. I would go eleven orgy puns or more. I'm just going to tell you right now; those are rookie numbers. You got to pump those up. <laughs> now I'm going to be doing a show with John Jansen in the morning, former Michigan player, and he he has the humor of a child. So maybe that should, our show alone might hit that. That's if you point. just need a guy, because we're we're all part of the Odyssey family here. If yeah. if Odyssey's willing a few extra shekels, I will come on five minutes a morning during football season and just hammer the orgy talk. I mean, just deliver the goods to the people of Detroit. So that's on the table. I don't know what if John's thinking you know that what? way. I'm just for you because we're friends. I can't knock the hustle here. Do you hear what he said, guys, for a few shekels? He's trying to get himself paid in this whole deal. I, I love it. Well, yeah, we don't do things for free in radio here. That's not the Odyssey way. What are we doing? <laughs> you bring me on so that I can get you a hookup to get an extra few shekels next fall. I see how this is going. Yeah, but he's bringing you quality orgy content. Yeah, what but, do you want? But, but I'm giving you something. I'm giving you orgies. Why, what more could you want? Jim, you're the best, buddy. Appreciate you. Enjoy this weekend. We might have feelings on Michigan, but our thoughts on Detroit. I think wait, we get a lot wait, of people. Wait, 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 wait. Are Browns fans rooting for the Lions? Let me know so I can take it back to my people. Yes. Yes, yes 100%. I'm, I'm rooting for the Lions. I want them at least in the Super Bowl. And honestly, if Detroit won it, I like it. it I felt the same way if Buffalo had won it uh, the, two years ago when Mahomes skunked them. Then um, I I feel the same way. When a team gets to win their first Super Bowl, I just think it's the coolest thing. I think that's the kind of thing you got to celebrate, especially when we all share the Rust Belt here. I feel like you guys have gone soft. You know what? No orgy talk for you. How about that, you <laughs> son of a... Jim, uh, we appreciate you, buddy. Enjoy the weekend. See you, guys. This is as national as Detroit is going to get when it comes to the big news. Like, I remember one of the things we got spoiled on, there's that run where, you know, the the then Indians were in the World Series. LeBron was back. They were in the, the finals. The Browns were tanking, and it was like a national thing. And it was like... I remember being on, like, getting the night show on, like, a, like a Monday it was announced. And on, like, Wednesday it was on with Doug Gottlieb. And, like, <laughs> the next mo- the next week it was on with Colin right. Coward. And I remember just being like, whoa, 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 whoa. Why am I qualified to talk about this? I just got a show. Uh, but, like, I feel like this is Detroit's glow-up moment. Yeah. Right? You do have the Lions in the AFC title game. And it was so cool. Um Oh gosh, it wasn't. I wasn't watching. They didn't have Sports Center because of stupid tennis today. Um, I was watching. <laughs> it pissed me off so bad. Like it's between tennis and some. Nope. I'm gonna keep the tiger in the cage. I'm not gonna take a shot. I'm above that now. I'm a new Nick Wilson. Damn it! Even though yesterday the whole start of the show was me taking shots at everybody around me here. Um, but I digress. But like. It was cool to see, um, I think it was ESPN, did like a montage of, it was the 49ers over the Lions in the NFC title game in 1983, and it was like 31 to 30, Right. and they did a whole write-up on it. And I had, guys, I consider myself pretty adept at NFL history, because I'm fascinated by it. I'm, I'm really, like, the different eras of the NFL and how things have broken out and how the Browns went from the team in the right. NFL to being a team that everybody's like, man, remember when they were the Browns, that kind of stuff. <laughs> but like the Lions stuff, it's just fascinating. Cause yeah. like, I remember uh, Bobby Ross. I remember Wayne Fonts, but like that, that, that really nice 
early 80s run, no frame of reference for. Well, did you watch the Barry Sanders documentary? I did not. You know, I couldn't. You, I, I was afraid it was going to be like Michael's um, The Last Dance. Uh, no. Where it, there was just like a, I have a, an axe to grind. I was terrified that it was going to ruin the way I look at Barry Sanders because I thought even less of Michael after The Last Dance. Yeah, no, the, it was... It was phenomenal. I've watched it twice. That's how good it was. I, I watched it twice. The behind the scenes of what what led to his retirement and you know things that happened uh, with the Lions in that era. Because I, I, you know, that was my childhood. You know, Barry Sanders yeah. was the Jim Brown of my childhood. And um, hasn't he gotten lost a little bit in just the the overall shuffle? Yeah, he has. And it's like honestly, I don't know why. I well, I know why. It's ridiculous that Emmett Smith. And his legacy has aged better in the NFL than Barry Sanders. Yeah. And it's all tied to team success. But if you go back at the height, it wasn't really a conversation. While Emmett was a truly great player, I'm not using this to, to besmirch him. I'm right. simply like, the conversation ended with Barry Sanders. Right. Because, I mean, very few guys ran like that. And, and he's kind of like the last great lion. Yeah. For for you know yep. like they they just similar to the Browns where they just had this drought of talent, right? Yeah. I mean, Joe Thomas is the the Browns first Hall of Famer of the expansion era. Yep. And as much as we lo- love Joe, but he was a left tackle. He wasn't a running back. He wasn't a quarterback or a receiver. You know what I'm saying? Like he he was in the trenches. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know when, you know, I don't know when the Browns are getting that next I think it's going to be Miles Garrett, mm-hmm. you know, when his career's done. But if Batonio played right tackle, it would be Batonio, right? But because he's a guard, that's going to hurt him. Yeah, uh, but I, I just I don't know, like I don't know who the next Brown star offensive mm-hmm. Hall of Famer is going to be. I mean, you would say Nick Chubb. Yeah, but the, I don't the know that is, the longevity's there. Well, and the problem with running backs is it's the numbers now because windows are shorter. The numbers now pale in comparison to right. the Emmets and the Berries, and so there's a perceptional thing there. I just, I'll be honest with you, I'm 100% rooting for the Lions. In in any matchup, I'm rooting for the Lions this weekend. It, the Lions can play anybody in the Super Bowl, and I'm rooting for the Lions. And that's funny because on one hand, I mean, I, I think the most likely thing that happens is the Chiefs, against all odds, end up again winning another championship. I I think this is. They continue to just... It's that time of year. Cash the ticket. Jim Costa with Mike Valeni. We shift the focus from football to college hoops, getting us ready for the tournament where we're going to break down all the matchups and have an eye on some future plays too. Search Cash the Ticket on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Be that team that like they are not as good as they were last year because of the drops and Kelsey's taking a small right. step back. The and guys are throwing helmets on the yes. sideline and yes. yelling and screaming with each other. Yes. And it just it didn't feel like they were the cohesive thing, but then for whatever, some way, somehow it's, it's, it's clicking again for them. So I think that's the most likely thing. And there's a part of me, and maybe it's because Keith and I had an argument this time yesterday. Keith and I have been arguing over when the chiefs will become a dynasty for three Super Bowls for, for two. Okay, thank not, you. See, Daryl's on the on the side. That's why I know three right. Super Bowls in five or six years. That's a dynasty. But why is it three Super Bowls? Why because, is that the number? Because you know teams do go. I realize going back to back is hard to do and things like that. But mm-hmm. when when you go and get a third in a short period of time, okay, that's another level. Just so, like the the Patriots. Yeah, the Patriots were a twenty year dynasty. 
But to me, I look at the Patriots like they were a, a, two dynasties. Two separate dynasties. They, because yeah. they had three Super Bowls in a short period of time. Yes, they were winning the East every year, still in the playoffs, but they were were not, yeah. you know, they weren't Super Bowl. They were stepped back off then, that level. Yeah. Then they come back and um, boom, all the here's three more Super Bowls there. So I like I look at the Patriots as three. Uh the Bulls, um, you know, they Bulls. <laughs> they, they win three. Michael Reed retires in air quotes and then comes back and they win three more. And um, I just, I think that that third Super Bowl or I should say championship or World Series or, you know, NBA finals win. I just think a third title in a three to six year window, that's a dime. Cause and typically too, the team is the same for the most part, the core of the team remains the same. And that also makes the dynasty because that core of a team is dominating everyone else and piling up those championships. So I have to put a cork in this because anytime we start talking about dynasties, it does spill into what has become a heavyweight fight. So I'm going to... The Browns are not a dynasty. The Cavs were not a dynasty. <laughs> I, we're not doing that because now we're going to start pissing people off. My they, point they, is we're putting a pin in it. I respectfully disagree. The, but, the Cavs were a dynasty of the Eastern Conference for four years. How I about think, that? I think the most likely outcome is the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. But even in a chiefs really? line Super Bowl. I, I think the Ravens winning the Super Bowl is the most likely outcome. I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, that's uh, they, so my point they is they were just destroying teams this year. Like they yeah. weren't just they weren't just winning games. They were winning by 21 points. Yeah, I think I, I just, I'll just I'll, to me this is get over the hump and I'll believe you. Okay, that, so, I mean it's it's fair, but I I just to me the Ravens winning the Super Bowl is the most likely outcome. It's the outcome that I detest and mm-hmm. don't want to see happen. I'm so glad you brought that up um, because yesterday Dustin said on this air and in in Dustin's thought process is. The Chiefs beat the Bills. His little boy is the biggest Bills fan on the planet, and it broke his kiddo's heart. Right. So he was rooting for the Ravens because he can't root for the Chiefs because of what just happened to the See, Bills. See, I, I would rather, if I'm in Dustin's situation, I would want the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl because then you can say to your little boy, you can say, hey, they lost to the champions. Yeah. They lost to the best team there, there was this season. Well, and also, to me, that makes that loss a little more palpable for a kid. Also, nothing's going to make that Bills loss sting anymore. Like I'm, this is a this is a Vince McMahon moment. Uh, the Bills screwed the Bills. Like, hey, Sean McDermott, I mean, I mean, you hey, want to win? If so, if Sean McDermott's serious about winning, don't go it for uh, on fourth and five at your look, own thirty, you look, jackass. When, when you can fake a punt with Tamar Hamlin. On fourth and five, sometimes you just got to do it, you yeah. know. N- naturally, S- sincerely, Sean naturally. McDermott. And when the when the long snapper said it came from the sidelines, I would have personally fired Sean McDermott <laughs> there for for the good of Bills fan psyche. I, I know. I thought that was a check. Like it's one thing if you checked into it, right? You're like, okay, they got ten guys. Let's try and catch them off guard. But the fact that it was called from the side. Yes, but my take with the Ravens is. I, I will never be able to root for them. No matter whether I think it's – like, I like John Harbaugh. I respect the hell you out of You realize they're on the cycle, right? They won the Super Bowl in 2000. They won it again in 2012, and now it's 2024. It's like they're one Super Bowl every 12 years. But here's why. Here's why I can't – they'll always be Cleve, the, the old Browns. Right. And the only moment where I'll ever be able to not just fully loathe that team, it has nothing to do with the Ravens. It has everything to do with the Browns. 
Like the re- the reasons why I'm rooting against the Ravens now, I hate watch them, is because I'm still pissed about the Texans' loss. Right. Like it stings. It stings that you had a team that probably was built to go toe to toe with the Ravens, and you but, couldn't get there to play them. Yeah, because for some reason your team couldn't get it up going on the road. Like that's the most maddening thing in the world. A team, because then again, that falls back in the idea of I don't want a team that front runs. That is a sign. I don't think this team was front runners, by the way. Right. But it's, that is the residual. That is the one leftover front running tendency this team had that the last two years it had that I right. that just drives me crazy. And, and when you talk about the letdown, then it feels like you're diminishing what they accomplished yes. and through the adversity. And it's like I just separate it, and and I'm just like, you went through all that. For nothing. Yeah. And you, you, you work so hard for nothing. But I'll be able, in this scenario, if, if I have some bone to pick with the other team, I'll be able to root for the Ravens when the Browns win a Super Bowl. It will know the Ravens, because my every year the, my hatred for the Ravens, as I see the stability, as I see the success, I mean, for God's sake, John Harbaugh is a are Cle- supposed to be here. Yes, but John Harbaugh is a Cleveland guy. I'm sorry, he's a Northeast Ohio guy. Right. So, like, not only did you take one of our 10 best players ever in Ozzy, anoint him as a GM and go on this 20-year run. Now you're taking a guy from from the little back, what, Sandusky area, Toledo area, and you're you're marching into the playoffs every single year. Yeah. So I, like when I recoiled when Dustin said it yesterday, I was but, like, I can't. I look. can't. I'll never be able to be good with the Ravens winning. This will piss me off way more than Michigan winning the national title. Yeah. The, because the, I at least had my I'd had my moment with uh, with Ohio State kicking the crap out of Michigan for 15 years. I had that. So when when all these Ohio State fans, "Oh my god, it sucks. This is the worst thing ever." It's like, "No, you kicked their ass for 15 years. They've had three good years. Let get, them have it. And, and congrats on the title." And in this century, you're 2 to 1 in the championship yes, thing. So, yes. So but, like it doesn't but, but Cleveland we don't – I mean, the, like, the clapback is, ah, we beat you in November, hashtag suck it, in Baltimore. Like, that's that's a thing. Yeah. So, like, that to And then you is, get to talk about, oh, well, that was your Super Bowl, right? Yes. Yeah. You know, here, here's – the thing for me is – and, again, it's good that the Browns are stable now and, and, and they've got the arrow pointed in the right direction with the organization. But the fact of the matter is – that the Baltimore Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers are everything Browns fans wish the Cleveland Browns were. Were, were, have been, will be. Mm -hmm. Those two organizations. And I realize it's been a little bit since... The reason reason why the Steelers fans want to run Mike Tomlin out of town is because he's not winning Super Bowls. Look, what Tomlin did this year was some of the best coaching you'll ever see. Uh, What he's done in recent years, right? Uh, there have been years where they should probably have won two or three or four games, and he still has them with winning seasons. But guess what? Steeler fans aren't concerned with winning seasons. Yep. They're concerned with winning Super Bowls. That's their standard there. We're sitting up here in Cleveland like, my God, if we had Mike Tomlin here and he had 17 straight winning seasons, we're building statues, naming babies and schools and streets and everything else after this guy, right? But the, in Pittsburgh, he's not good enough yep. because they're not winning Super Bowls. That's their standard. And the Ravens, that's where Harbaugh was about five years ago. Right. After, at the end of the Joe Flacco era. Right. And now you have the Ravens. You know, I make the joke. They're on the cycle of, well, they won one in, in 2000. Now 2012 is 2024. So they're due to win their third. And you know what? In three weeks, we could be sitting here lamenting the fact that the Ravens have three Vince Lombardi trophies and the Browns have one playoff win since a, 1999. A Ravens Super Bowl win 
is more deflating than a Steelers is. Yeah, Because yeah, at least, I mean, like, with, the Steelers are an entity. They are the beacon. If you can beat them, it changes the way you feel about your team. But because of the history, I... In, if, For the first time year, since 89, the Browns finished ahead in the standings of the Steelers. If next year the Browns won the Super Bowl, I would care so much less about the Ravens. I just, I wouldn't even bug me anymore. Because at least I got mine. And I did want to take a minute just to talk about the, the Michigan stuff. Because on one hand, the the reaction to Harbaugh going back to the NFL, I'm surprised there isn't more more pearl clutching from the national media. Like there's been Greg Doyle out of Indianapolis. Greg has hated Michigan and and had things to say about Jim Harbaugh for a long time. If this was Ryan Day at Ohio State and this happened, be wall to wall, every network, every cable outlet of just. What a horrible move Ryan Day made and how he abandoned Ohio State and left the program in peril. And all right. I mean, I, I remember the national outrage with Jim Tressel and the tattoo scandal. Well, I think what softens the blow is just that Harbaugh won the national title. Oh, well, but I, I just think it's the ultimate, like, you know, when, when Tress was, uh, or actually, no, Pete Carroll's a great representation of this. Because Pete had that run at USC, and towards the end, they got in trouble with the NCAA. And then, you know, Pete, I think, was hit with a show clause by the NCAA when he left to go to to Seattle. Right. And everybody, I mean, the pearl clutching, Colin Coward, Whitlock, all the talking heads at the time had something to say that the NFL should suspend him. Right. And I actually, I want to give the NFL media credit and the college football news credit, like, Nobody's saying, or not nobody, but very few people are saying things that are that stupid. Yeah. Like, honestly, like this, you could not have scripted this better if you're Jim Harbaugh, let alone Michigan. But, but think about it. From where he was three years ago, where they dipped into his pocket and said, we're going we're gonna to cut a certain amount of your salary, or you're just not going to be the head coach anymore. From there to three years later, winning a national title and basically being able to say to Michigan and to an NFL franchise, this guy had to call teams last year. He was calling to get interviews. Like he was cold calling for like serious subscriptions <laughs> for like a uh, like a like a like a, uh, a a telemarketing place. Hey Nick, Jim here. I'd yeah. like to be your head coach. Yeah, can you I, hiring? Yeah, can I renew my subscription to be the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings for the low, low price of $8,999,000,000 a year? Is that okay? Can I do that? Can is that <laughs> Would that be interested to you? No? Well, let me move on to my second objection here. <laughs> what about $7,900,000? Like, but it just it, it felt like he was zeroed in on that Charger situation yes. with Justin Herbert. And, um, and like I said, it was the least surprising news, right, that – he ultimately and and I'm going to tell you right now, guarantee you, Chargers will be a player in the AFC West. Yeah, I so it's not that I disagree because I think Harbaugh is just he can just he wins coach. everywhere he goes. Yes. Nick. Now uh, he's also allowed to scout. Now you're allowed to send scouts to games that oh, that is permitted in the NFL. Just wait for Connor Stallions. There, Connor Stallions to the Chargers I, in 2.5 seconds. <laughs> Keith, you're the ultimate Michigan man. Are you going to deny that Connor Stallions will in some oh, way he won't be, be on that staff? Come on. That, no, let's, but let's could be he be the one of the front office members? The only people saying that there's like that he left things for dead in Michigan are the people that overblew this thing from the very beginning. Like, uh, I want to talk about the there Connor Stallions thing. There are so many thing. people on this station. He's sidestepping and, and, the hell out of it. Oh, the Connor oh, yeah. Stallions thing? Yeah. No, admit it. He'll be he'll be a scout for uh, for the Chargers no. in like three seconds. He's, Jim Harbaugh has to be irritated with that kid. Because of all the winning they did together? Well, because he got caught. That's why. 
Okay. I No, I'm sorry. I mean, how dumb can you be to be buying tickets in your own name? I mean... On both sides okay. of the field. I was going to defend it because <laughs> I want to continue to paint the what idea that Connor Stallions is going to go to the like, Chargers. What zero the point is, it was pretty stupid. Zero chance? Zero. I'll give it a 1.5% chance. chance Jim Harbaugh does not hire idiots twice. He hired them the first time. Probably not going to do it. If a you give me time. enough time, I could refute that. Okay, but all right. I, especially well, when he hires refute all you want. When, when he hires Greg Roman to be the offensive coordinator, <laughs> in uh, in about two weeks, we'll know, and I'll be be able to disprove you then. But here's the thing: I do think that Harbaugh is going to win. But I think you know it's funny. Everything that people say about the Browns and the loaded AFC right. are things you should say about anybody getting a job in the AFC right now. Right, like. One, I don't think it's going to be as simple as Harbaugh steps in and the greatest iteration of Justin Herbert right. comes to fruition because they're not. It's not going to be the same kind of offense. They're not going to do what Har what uh, what what the Chargers' offense has right. done the last two years because that's antithetical to Harbaugh's ground and pound kind of mentality. Yep. And the other part is, um, Mac. I'm actually going to need the assist on this one because they're so in Dutch with uh, the with, uh, um, salary cap, that Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, Derwin James, and what are the other names? So the the four I gave you before the show was uh, Khalil Mack, Joey Bosa, um, Keenan Allen, and Mike Williams. Yes. Those four get them uh, $80 million in savings, and it only gets them to $36 million in cap. And that's only if they cut them. Yes. If they trade them, it actually diminishes. So... I don't know that that thing is built in. It, listen, they're going to have the sixth easiest schedule in the NFL. Yeah, That's going to give them a chance. They're probably not winning that division because Mahomes seems to have some sort of vice vice grip over that. Uh, but you can still get into the playoffs. Yeah. But in terms of, like, if you said three years from now, uh, the Chargers will be in an AFC title game, I'd seriously consider that that's a reality. Because that, to me, is the impact of, of Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, I don't but know. But it that wouldn't they'll... surprise me if they were an okay team this year if yeah. they end up having to cut a guy like Joey Bosa. Yeah, well, they're they're going. There's no question they're going to have to do a retool. I don't know if it's a full fledged rebuild because I don't think Harbaugh's yes moving on from Michigan to them yep. to go through this whole rebuild, right? And and I'm I'm guarantee you roster management and this, and this is why with the whole cute. Remember the Hugh Jackson? Oh, I wasn't told that they were going to gut the place, right? Yeah. This is all part of that conversation when you're going through the interview process. And if it isn't, you as the candidate did a terrible job then yep. doing your homework on them. But ro the roster management aspect, right? Okay, yeah, in a little bit of salary cap situation here, how are you going to handle it? What What are you thinking? Who's Who's got to go? Who can stay? Who can be restructured? Right? What room do we have to add in free agency? How's our draft capital? At? What are our uh, additional organizational assets look like? This is all part of that interview process. It's not just Jim Harbaugh getting up on a uh, on a whiteboard in front of ownership and drawing a bunch of stuff and, yeah. and wowing them, and, and they're sitting there going ooh and ah, and this is great, right? It, it's it's the interview is both ways where they have to explain to him or they should have explained to him uh you know the realities of the 53 and where they are organizationally and how they can position this team to win immediately because he again he's not going there to do what the Browns did and burn the house down yeah. and start from scratch and try and get the number 1 pick in the draft 
Well, but I just think to, to kind of the, the bigger picture here is the second Harbaugh got hired in uh, L.A., people immediately went, man, I don't know how you're going to compete next year. And I just think that's such a uniquely – and I'm not talking – that's not a Cleveland thing. Yeah. That's how people perceive the Browns to the rest of the AFC. And it's like, listen, the Chargers could be a factor next year. N- none right. of us really know. I mean, we'll have to see how their offseason goes. I think they have probably the widest breadth – of possibilities or one of them because of right. uh, whether you just pay some of these salaries down, whether you do what the Browns have done, where you just move the goalposts financially or whether you, <laughs> right. or, or whether you honestly just cut some of these dudes who are pillars of that roster. But like, I guess my point is I don't like this, this whole panic about, Oh man, the AFC just continues to get tougher and tougher. And yeah. you can say that about every franchise and the only reason, it's like people like Florio weaponize Deshaun's health and Deshaun's contract. And I mean, I think you can get really, I think you can kind of read between the lines why they would do that. One, Mike's a bit of a provocateur. Two, Mike has a problem with Deshaun, given what Deshaun was accused of and suspended for. Right. But the, the there's no difference between what the Browns are going through with the uncertainty with Deshaun then the Jets' uncertainty coming off a down year without Aaron Rodgers, who's going to be 40 years old, with coming off a bum Achilles. Right. Like, there's like three or four teams, maybe two teams, really, that are top of the pops. Okay, these teams are going to be in the playoffs next year. Almost everybody else. And by the way, there's two teams, two, three teams in the AFC who are the bottom, right? And then there's about 10 teams, 11 teams, 12 teams in between that. Yeah. And that's where the Browns exist. And trying to speculate where they are today, to me, is just easy, low-hanging fruit in a way to rile up a fan base that is still a little pissed off about the way the Houston game went. And I did realize today in in thinking about this, I'm still not in any way over the Texans game. I'm still very mad about that. And I just, I uncovered a level of anger. It's like grief. Like I've been dealing with all this grief in my life, you know, since my dad passed away 11 years ago. And I've been dealing with it. It comes in waves and all these things. The same thing can be said about the Browns' loss <laughs> to the friggin' Texans. So you're it's, still going through the five I, stages like, of grief. I'm going to have to bring it up in therapy because I, the dad stuff, you know, I've talked about it enough. It's starting to kind of see, recede a little bit here. Now I have Browns' agony to talk with my therapist about. I think everybody kind of has a similar take as to what happened last night. The Cavs went into Milwaukee for the first of two games. Uh, the second half will be tomorrow in Milwaukee, the Doc Rivers I just I can't believe that ass clown got that job. It's not that this is the this has to be the first time in history of any sport that within a two week span a team will play another team three times with three (laughs) Three different different coaches. coaches. Yeah, it's uh, by the way, that's a very Cleveland thing to do. This is very uh, Dan Gilbert circa twenty twelve or something like that. But this is not a. I know. Well, I guess there is a Cleveland tie because the Haslam's are part of the ownership group of the Bucks, but like. So you know. what's interesting to me about that is, like, it proves to me that they just fired Mike Budenholzer to fire Mike Budenholzer, right? Which makes it even worse. Like, they they did get swept out of the first round by the Miami Heat. It was an embarrassing loss. But, like, Mike Budenholzer, halfway through the, the series, lost a brother in a car accident. And and there was just the guy that won the first national uh, – sorry, the first title in 50 years wasn't given the chance – to, to run things back and figure it out in, in Mealy Walk A. I mean, Mike Budenholzer with Dame Lillard and Giannis would have been special. I digress. This is not a Milwaukee show. But, like, I th- I think everybody kind of saw last night coming. I have not heard one person surprised or outraged 
that the Cavs lost the Bucks last night. And the reality is they 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 had all hands on deck, and I just think there's something therapeutic. When the elephant in the room finally gets dealt with, and in this case, Adrian Griffin, their old head, ca- uh, right. head coach, was the elephant in the room. He was not well-liked. He was he had lost that locker room, and it's only a matter of time. So we yeah. can laugh about Doc Rivers, but the reality is you woke up the bear in Milwaukee by firing the guy that was holding them back even though they were 13 games above 500. Right. So, like, last night to me it was, oh, no, they've got Giannis, they've got Dame, they've got a championship DNA, and you're still shorthanded. So, like, I, yeah. like I, I'm curious to see how the Cavs rebound uh, tomorrow, because you kind of get this is one of the advantages of the two day or sorry two games in in three days is it acts like a playoff series. But even then, like one of the the flaws, and it's not a flaw, you're just you're hurt. One of the downsides of right now is you don't have you don't have a lot of of cards to play. You've got to yeah. win the way that you've got to win, which is high usage from Donovan. Which is you're gonna you're gonna shoot forty five percent on about forty threes, and and you're gonna play good enough defense, and that's the way you win right now. Yeah. And if anything like that, and it's working. Well, okay, but I think I it's working for now. For now, and I think that is the ultimate question. You know, we talked about the Cavs in this winning streak, and I think it it upset some Cavs fans who just wanted to enjoy the 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 ride that they were on, and it's like I totally understand that. But I think we've kind of got – I don't know if you agree with this or not, Daryl. I feel like we are now with Donovan, Darius, Evan, and Jared. I think we are in the regular season where we were for most of LeBron 2.0. Right. Which is every day we should be asking ourselves, are we any bit closer to competing in this conference? And that that has nothing to do with whether you're the four seed or whether you're the six seed. Or whether you're the two seed or the four seed. And it has everything to do with, do you have the pieces in place? Do you have the formula in place to compete in the playoffs? Yeah. And I don't think we're any closer to truly knowing that answer. And there's there's a part of it. I think there's a lot of people in town, including the Cavs, who are very comfortable with, well, I got to see it in the playoffs again. And there's something about that that comfortability to me that makes me wildly uncomfortable. I, I th- that that idea of eh, we'll see that just that for that for some that just feels anti championship mindset to me. Like I think you know how these guys fit together. Yeah, I think you know that in a in a regular season situation you can stagger Darius and Donovan's minutes and you can stagger the minutes of Allen and Mobley and you can you can you know when when you do stagger the minutes for the bigs you can put enough shooters out there to kind of handle that. I still think you're going to be caught in between two extremes where you're going to be caught into your uh, in between your offensive identity right. and what could win with you which is you're going to put a buttload of shooters around these guards and if you if you move the ball you're going to get a lot of really good shots. But I think that identity is also counterintuitive to what you're trying to do defensively. Yeah. And I and it and it doesn't mean that they can't win with it, but it does pose logistical issues in a seven-game series or a five-game series. And I think that's the concern. I think the idea that this team, like last year, we went in saying this team could could be one and done in the playoffs because they don't have the experience necessary. They haven't played together, the fit issues, all that. 
They could be one and done in the playoffs, or we could see him going to that second round and being competitive. And it ended up being the 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 most concerning level, which is you got gentlemanly swept by the New York Knicks, and you just got your ass hammered. Yep. So what scares me about this year is I think we assume, like I think we all look at this and go, oh, I think they kind of have the same trajectory. Right. They're, they're, they could be anywhere from being out in the first round or maybe they're really competitive into the second round. But I don't know definitively they're any closer or, or sorry, they're any farther away from being the team that lost four or five to New York despite having home court advantage. Right. And that scares the crap out of me. It really does. Yeah, the, the thing with the Cavaliers right now, you know, because they don't have all the pieces they right right now with Mobley and Garland down, they're going to need time to bring these guys back in. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have to figure out what fits yeah, and how it's going to fit and how it's going to match up. I think part of the benefit now is they're, they have found ways to win, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, Donovan has been beyond fantastic, right? Yeah. They're finding role players coming off the bench that have done a really good job. And let's be honest about it. A big reason why they were shown the door so quickly in the playoffs last year by the Knicks is the fact that, well, the bench was terrible. They mm-hmm. got no contributions from the bench. They couldn't count on anybody from the bench. A little different this year. But they're going to have to use from mid-February until the end of the regular season to figure out what their identity is going to be as a whole. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to have to figure out, all right, now come playoffs, depending where things fall, who they match up with, how are they going to play yeah. to their strengths while effectively matching up, right? So the identity thing is concerning to me. Like, you're a year and a half into this, and I still don't think you know who you are. And you, listen, you can change I identity agree. from one year to another. You can do that. But it it always still stays rooted in something consistent, you know. Like, all right, well, we're going to be a, a three and D team, and we're going to be we're going to take the what seventh most threes in the NBA on yep. any, that's that that's who we are. Okay, but that's still rooted in that defensive identity. Yes, and so I think that lack of identity is probably what scares me more than anything because you mentioned like you got to figure it out. Well, to me, in the NBA. I, I think sometimes we just go, well, the players are going to figure it out. Well, but the players don't control the rotation. Right. And I think with the way this team is built, like, it shouldn't have taken two catastrophic injuries where we saw Sam Merrill. It shouldn't take, like, and I was I was saying this before, and, and listen, I, I am on the record is I don't think JB is a good coach. I think he's a, I think he's a good culture coach. I think he's a great rebuilding coach but when it comes to doing the things you need to do to win in the playoffs that is rotations that is strategy that is in game um you know drawing um out of bounds plays like crucially managing the most important parts of the game and I I just have never seen JB do any of that stuff reasonably well and certainly last year was really alarming right so I'm on the record as saying I don't think this is the guy to do it but, like, one of my biggest frustrations and the thing that I point to is, like, from from really November to May, you should be trying every single lineup in your head, even if it's just once a week you throw the lineup out there, just to try because you never know. 
Like, you know how no, I guys... Think you, yeah, I got to pause you there for a second because it's not the worst idea. Mm-hmm. But you you do the experimentation against the bad teams. Yes, yes. You that you know what I'm saying? When, when, when you're playing the dregs of the league, that's when you maybe play around with your lineups a little bit and, and, and see what combinations may or may not work fluid together, especially yes. on the offensive end of the floor. Well, but that's how you find. Like, the Cavs had that. And I'm trying to remember the exact lineup where it was – I think it was Channing. I think it was – I think Kevin played the five. RJ was your three. Or sorry, RJ was your two. LeBron was the the three. And, and Kyrie was the one. They found that by accident. Right. Ty Lue – and this is actually what I think Ty Lue was best at because Ty Lue got, didn't get enough credit for what he did in Cleveland. Ty Lue's the guy that just goes, well, it's a random night against, um, I don't know, Charlotte. Right. All right? We're going to win – but what might impact our margin for a victory here is in the third quarter, I'm going to throw this lineup out there and see what it gets. Yeah. But that's also, but it's even beyond just individual lineup stuff. Right now, what they need to be doing is hey, can we stagger the guards and can we see how Sam Merrill fits with Donovan versus Sam Merrill versus Darius, right? Uh, can we fit. Um, Craig Porter Jr. into the equation. Um, Damian Jones obviously getting run now because Tristan is. But, like, my big concern with where they are is I don't see that. I just see them running out the same seven-man lineup. And in the meantime, you're putting an assload of minutes on Donovan. And you're you're trying to save minutes in games where you're either winning right. big or losing big. Well, you're you're seeing you're seeing the minutes for Donovan because they're trying to win games yes. and they're try you know what I'm saying? Like they're trying to stack wins because early in the season when they started slow, what was the conversation? They're they're fire J B. Yeah. They're not winning enough, right? So now it's okay, we're gonna without Mobley, without uh, there, you know, let's just run run these guys out there and see if we can pile up wins and in the last couple of weeks here, they've piled up wins. They've got the best record in the NBA. Um, but I understand where you're coming from, but it, it it's a tough dance for JB because if they're not winning enough games because he's experimenting, trying to find stuff that's working or may not work, whatever, people are going to say, fire him because while they shouldn't be five games above 500, they're supposed to be 10 games above 500. So it's he's kind of in a tough spot, and I agree with you. It that has always been my concern about JB. I think he's an outstanding culture builder, and he is a big, big reason why this franchise has turned it around mm-hmm. and has become competitive, right? And they have made progress from year to year to year. And I do believe he's earned the right to fail on his merits. Um, I share your concern. Is he going to be able to go toe-to-toe in the playoffs with another coach and make lineup adjustments and draw up plays coming out of timeouts, using timeouts late in game the right way, right, and things like that, the little details of the game? Is he the right guy? I don't know. I I, I have reservations, but as someone who's been around the organization, not obviously like the the, the full-time beats that that cover the team, but Mm -hmm. I've I've been around enough to where – I have a, a a pretty good feel. I just feel like he's earned the opportunity this season to make it or break it. And if he doesn't make it this year, then yeah, you do have to make a change. I think he earned the opportunity um, uh, th- for last year. And I just don't know how many organizations in the NBA give guys like JB and with 
I mean, he has been a head coach now for about seven or eight years or in, in seven or eight different seasons. This will be his third trip to the playoffs, assuming they make a, a the, the first-round series, and I do think that's the assumption. I just think it's a lot for an organization to put everything in. You need a coach and maybe have to make a decision on Donovan this summer. Yeah. That feels really lopsided if you could make incremental movements in between. And that's not just about – I'm not just saying fire JB today. I'm saying, like, it, it is it is crazy that, that everybody lauded this eight-game win streak, and I still don't know how much yeah. closer we are to knowing who the Cavs are. Where do you stand with the Cavs? Like, do you think this team is as good as their record says they are? And are you confident that they can avoid the same fate as last year? It does annoy me, the Ohio State fans – who for years talked about how they wanted Jim Harbaugh as the head coach in Michigan because Ohio State was having such success against Harbaugh the first five years. Those same people were like, I, I can't wait to get him out of here. I don't care about beating him. I just want to win again. I thought that was the most fragile bleep imaginable. <laughs> like you went from saying, give him a lifetime contract to three years later, like like cowering, I do, I'll be honest with you. When Ohio State wins this next year, and it's going to happen because it better happen. I mean, well, it's Ohio State's a super team. Michigan's going to be in some ways rebuilding with a new head coach. All this being said, when it does happen, those same clowns are going to be flexing on it, and I don't. Think it's as sweet as if as if you beat Jim Harbaugh. Like it'll still be sweet because it's beating right. Michigan, and that'll that's your key to the Big Ten title game, and that's your. Uh, that's your key to a better seeding in the playoffs, which matters now. But, like, I think it's soft as hell when somebody's like, oh, no, I'm so glad he's there. I didn't want to have to go through him. I'm like, no. I, that's the best part of a rivalry. Like, honestly, guys, the rivalry got boring in the the the, two, the 2000 teens. Yes, some of those games were close, but you know it was going to happen. You knew that Michigan was going to Michigan. And at the time, it was Michigan was going to shoot itself in the foot. And even if it was a three-point game, you were going to walk out of there being like, eh, okay, that was kind of what I expected. I think this is a great day to be a Buckeye. Last yeah, night was a great that? night to be a Buckeye. Are you giving into that? Are you giving into that? Just I am. You want to know why? Because my fear was, and I know Keith's a Michigan fan, my fear was Keith that, being a Michigan fan? No, that Harbaugh <laughs> had completely turned the tide of this thing. Mm-hmm. Because I grew up watching John Cooper get his lunch handed to him by Michigan every year. Yeah. Or they, and they'd, you know, they, they'd be a top-ranked team, and then they'd lose to Michigan State or Penn State. They, they would lose a game that they had no business lo- losing, right? Yeah. And they also couldn't beat Michigan. And I was worried there for a minute that Ryan Day was the new John Cooper. But I got to hate that comparison. I, 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 I'm, not saying Ryan, it's, I'm not saying it's fair, no. but again, Ohio State's the, like, Ohio State's the one team that I can just unabashedly root for. I I can shill for. I can shake the pom poms for because I I I have nothing to do with the program. I never have to cover them. Whatever. Right. Occasionally talk about them, but like I can just be a, a complete Buckeye honk, and it doesn't matter. And I, as a Buckeye fan, detest the fact 
that he's one in three against Michigan and he's one in three in the college football playoff for ten million a year. That is not the in return on the investment I'm looking for if I'm a Buckeye really, fan. How, how much money do you put into the coffers a, down there? In not a penny, but yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. This is, I can. Uh, this is a couple t-shirts, Nick. Yeah, this I, is this is spend Jimmy Haslam's I, money all over again, can, isn't it? I can sit in my ivory tower and I can scream about them losing to Michigan and I can scream about them losing in the college football playoff can, and I hate the fact that Jim Harbaugh cheated and won a national title. Oh God, and that's another soft ass fan thing. <laughs> the whole cheating thing. The look on Keith's face like, now is priceless. And here's the thing. Like, anytime you just say, yeah, the cheating didn't matter, all of a sudden you become a Michigan fan. I know. <laughs> when instead you're just not being a baby about losing. Right. Like, I just think, like, this is just exposed. I just can't it, accept the fact that Michigan was better than Ohio State, so I have to cling to the, they cheated. Well, but see, that's that to me is exactly why you did lose and, this and, year. And you if know you what had the been turning able, point was? What's that? Michigan begging out during COVID. That was the turning point in the rivalry. I just okay. Let me let me get back. To As this. I'm winking at Keith, let, let me get back to this. <laughs> um, if you had been able to accept that Michigan had just built a better Big Ten team than you, meaning they were dominant in the trenches and they played the big t- the best style of Big Ten football, right? If you had just been able to accept that two years earlier. You wouldn't have lost this last year. I know. Or maybe you wouldn't have lost two years ago. You're not telling me anything I don't know. (laughs) But I think, like, I think uh, it should not have taken three years for Ryan Day to wake up. Right. But also, it shouldn't have taken Ohio State fans three years to wake up. Yeah. And I just, I what I will say about this is, we have to put this John Cooper thing to bed. Listen, (sighs) if Ryan Day... I still have, I, I, it's just, it's still an open wound at times. How, how, uh, John Cooper was never in the national title game. As a as a head coach, right. so that's one. Yeah. Ryan Day was in the playoffs his what second year as a head coach. Yeah, that's pretty good. Ryan Day was also in the playoffs last year, even though I know that he still lost. To By the way, he inherited Georgia. the team that he went to. The oh my God! It's you're just playing the hits here. That's what you are. It's like I'm talking with Anthony Lima here. <laughs> Is Lima feeding you these notes, these these nope. grievances? Lima doesn't talk to me because I think I'm, I'm not I'm not I'm not big enough. Ooh, okay. Continue. Just I'm go not on. important enough. He took Just, pictures at his birthday party, though. I know. Wait, who took pictures? I did. It 40th. was a paid gig. He paid me for it, though. He was he was good good about it. He, paid, he took care of me. Who who else was there? Now I got to know about this. Oh, Ken. I, well, what do you? Well, think yeah, the, of course. Where, 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 where do you where think one the, is, the other one is? Where do you think the Jason Lloyd meat sweats? picture came from oh I, I didn't know that's where that was yeah. did you take that yeah oh look at that so does jason talk to you after the meat sweats picture not really <laughs> that's fair that's fair <laughs> i just feel like uh anthony lima it's like going to a cartel party anthony lima's 40th birthday party like maybe not the 39th <laughs> maybe not the 41st certainly not whatever all, year he's all, in all now. i know is from the days when he used to call my weekend show year decades ago to now, he's all grown up now. I just like the idea that it's like the scene in Blow where Johnny Depp is, is like he's on the lamb forever. He's on the up and come, and then his wife throws that big uh, 40th birthday party, and that's what gets him pinched. That's what I imagine Lima's <laughs> 40th birthday party is. But I do feel like no, he I, is, it was a very grown up affair. I bet it was. No, I mean it. It really was. They had like a lot it, of grown ups there. Okay, why you have that look on your face, Daryl? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I I wasn't there, you know. I, I was there to work. I was not so a So you were one of the dancers? No play. I, I I'll was, work. I, I, was, I was there to work. Yeah. yeah. There were a lot of people there to work. They're called escorts. Nobody? No. Anybody? 
Nope. I'm just guessing. I'm guessing that they would be there because it's such a high-profile event. No, right? his, his wife was there. Was it was it on some island with some guy named uh, also named Anthony? No. no. It was no. A, it, it was a very family. Was affair. Clinton there? Nobody. No, I'm just I'm just I'm just I'm asking. You're, I don't know. You, you are on your own. Yeah, um, I'm, I, I am going to let you just drown in the pool. That's I, I, and I'm going to sit here and watch it happen. Honestly, it's more like snorkeling at this point. <laughs> I don't it doesn't really feel like drowning. I'm having quite a bit of fun here. So getting back to your uh, Ohio State panic. No more panic now. Oh, no. we, so I, on I, the Sons of the Shoe podcast, we do the, the Michigan panic meter right. where we go from the light gray, which is the least amount of panic, okay. to, uh, the, scarlet red. to, to the, the, the scarletest scarlet ever, which is the highest level of panic. So did, where were you before Jim Harbaugh went to, um, uh, to LA? Oh, I was and, totally full panic pegged, oh. meter pegged, because they, like, they lost three times in four years to, uh-huh. to Michigan. It didn't make it back to the college football playoff. They're, you know... All the talent that they had. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the talent that they've had in recent years. And and they haven't been able to get. So I'm like, well, I don't know. Maybe Ryan Day isn't the guy to get this thing done. He, where, where are you now? Um, I'm still in the scarlet, but more leaning. The, the scarlet is a light scarlet. I think I still have concerns as to whether or not Ryan Day can. Like, I think he can get him to the college football playoff. And especially now with the field being as expanded as it is. Mm-hmm. Right. Now I think he can beat Michigan again because Harbaugh has gone to the bye-bye in the NFL and all that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But I am not – I'm, and I know he can recruit. I mean, Brian Hartline, look at the talent Brian Hartline's brought and all that, right? Um, I, I like them bringing in Bill O'Brien. But I'm not sold that Ryan Day is the guy that's going to be standing there holding up the pretty gold trophy. So- I, I just – I'm not – I will believe it when I see it. Like when Jim Trussell was hired at Ohio State, I was like – I bet you the Buckeyes are going to win a national title. Guess what? They did. When they hired Urban Meyer, I set aside the baggage that he came with. I was like, you know what? How State's going to win a national title with Urban Meyer. And they did. I just don't – I'm not feeling like Ryan Day is going to win a national championship with the Buckeyes up until this point. Now that I see all the moves that they've made, and now I'm totally back on the bandwagon. I'm so, like, so now you're gonna I'm doing flop. the OHIO, baby. Again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for college football free agency, yeah. Keith. That's so, all I have to say. So I, I'm actually, sorry. It's called the transfer portal. I think what is fascinating about where they are is we've gone from, oh, my God, I'm so panicked. You just have to beat Michigan. If you just beat Michigan, right. Ryan Day can keep his job. Now, the downside is because it's Sharon Moore. And, and listen, I'm not necessarily certain that Sharon Moore is going to step in and they're going to be the Michigan they've been the last couple of years. I think people – I understand why Michigan would make that move if that is the move. Right. But, like, I don't take for granted the level of success Michigan's had the last two years, and I think I think they'd be doing themselves a disservice if they didn't do a real job search. But I right. digress on that. Um, but because Harbaugh is not there – because you've spent all this money. And by the way, I'm thrilled about that. Well, but I think you've gone from, oh my God, please just beat Michigan. We're sweaty and we're puffy. We're we're <laughs> we're Lyme at his 40th birthday party. We're 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 there to now it is, well, now you gotta win a national championship. And I think that is And that's I, where I meant. Like I and it's and I always say this about the Browns and the Guardians and the Cavaliers, why I don't get into the championship or bust narratives with those teams because I've covered so many playoff runs and stuff and 
I have a firsthand look of just how hard that is mm-hmm. to move on and advance, right, yeah. and compete for championships. But, like, with Ohio State, I'm there. Like, it's championship or bust for me for the Buckeyes right now. With They have... But how much of that is influenced by the fact they haven't won a national championship with Ryan Day and they haven't beaten Michigan? Because uh, I think it's, that's it's where, very much influenced by that. But I think that's where it's circular logic. And I admit like, that. Like I, idea, again, I, I totally admit that sometimes I'm not logical when it comes to Ohio State football because I'm, you know, I'm a fan and I'm rooting for them. Mm-hmm. Like I admit that I'm not logical about it all the time. Well, but and that's I why Keith's in the room laughing at me right I now. Think, but like, well, that that I, and a I, couple other things. But, I, I, I'm just I. Where I'm at with Ohio State right now with all these kids that they've gotten, they, they've killed it in the transfer portal. But do you understand how insane it sounds that at the start of this month, it was just beat Michigan, we're sweaty, we're puffy, we're, right. we're scared of the big bad Wolverines, mm-hmm. and and what is it, 25 days later, because Harbaugh's gone and you've had this this transfer portal stuff, that now all of a sudden go beating win Michigan all. isn't enough. Yeah, go win it all. Like, that's, that's where it is, right? Listen... It, I'm crocodile tears for Ryan Day. The man's making $10 million a year. If he were to get fired tomorrow, he'd have another job. I, th- don't cry for me, Argentina. And okay, keep, but at the same mind, point, that's that's categorically insane got that we would go in 25 days. And that athletic director gave one of the largest buyouts in history to a coach. I actually think where I'm actually going to go is, is I think it's going to be funny when Ryan Day beats Michigan and maybe loses in the third round of the playoffs and then gets the biggest contract extension. <laughs> I just want to be I, – I want to have – well, I will seed Sons of the Shoe to you and Anthony Lima for one <laughs> podcast, and I'm going to be sitting there with Anthony Lima's uh, cartel connections, just enjoying, just chasing the dragon, watching the two of you spin in circles at the big contract that Ryan Day just got. Yeah, but what happens if they put record numbers up for the podcast, Nick? Uh, you know what? Hey – I, the Ohio State loses to Michigan, and I can live with it. I can lose the podcast to Daryl and to Lima. Actually, Keith, I can pretty much guarantee that's not going to happen. <laughs> I want to get to something that I've never done as an adult that I'm, I don't say being forced to do, but I've started to do, and it's its for a very uh, a special event. Stop eating? No, no, that's never going to happen. Okay. No, no. I mean, we, we can eat less. We will never stop eating here. Look at this. This this is a body by food. It's going to stay a body by food. <laughs> but we were just having the conversation about Ohio State and how irrational um, we well, are. <laughs> it's just funny. The reaction to Jim Harbaugh going to the NFL like I poured one out last night. Jim, we just, knew you well. It's just so, you well. It's just so silly to me. Like <laughs> it, it's it's like when people um panic about oh the rest of the AFC the rest of the AFC mm-hmm. I don't give a rip what are the Browns doing right like I focus on from a Browns perspective because here's the thing like the Browns the two previous off seasons had not got the job done in whether it's drafting free agency retention you know having the right coaching staff so like that mattered more than uh, Joe Burrow's a really good quarterback also in your division you know what I mean like there's all you're in the AFC you're always going to have a competitive environment in the AFC. It's just, well, as long as I can remember, it's just, the AFC has been the top dog. So I want to know what the team is doing. And so, yep. like, with Ohio State, I could give a rat's ass what Michigan is doing or who they follow. If, if anything, I'm more critical of their process because they need to – they've never put a – they've never been able to put a coach in a better situation since Lloyd Carr retired. And even then, I don't – 
Lloyd Carr didn't walk off from a, a national championship into retirement. So the you know, Rich Rod still had to kind of rebuild the thing when he walked in. Right. So like I'm a little critical of what they're doing there, just kind of if they do this, if they just mindlessly give Sharon Moore the job. But as I kind of think back to it, like I'm just more on where Ohio State is. And I think Ohio State's done everything that you have to do to beat Michigan and compete for a title next year. So where my expectations have remained are beat Michigan. And and then uh, after you beat Michigan, we can talk about anything you want. We can talk about the Big Ten title. We can talk about um, whether that's against Oregon or Washington, whether the new t- USC, whether or whether you're facing a traditional Big Ten opponent in the Big Ten title game, where you're going to be, whether a, a top four seed, nothing matters yep. until you pass that first test. And so many people have just now assumed a win against Michigan. And there's something about going from panic to hubris that annoys me when the only things that have changed from the Michigan side are who their head coach is. Right. Now, real quick, we're going to get to a couple calls here. Let's go with Jeff. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Hey, good afternoon, guys. Listen, not to throw the resume out there, but I'm an Ohio State alum, been a fan for probably longer than both of you have been living. That's OH. I.O. But the Buckeyes will never repeat, never win a natty as long as Ryan Day is the coach there. I don't care who they recruit. I don't care what uh, assistant coaches they bring in because the team lacks the mental and physical toughness. This is why they lost to the team up north the last three years. No, it wasn't because of cheating and all that. It's because that team was mentally and physically tougher than us. It reflected Harbaugh. And for people to assume that just because he's gone, uh, last time I checked, Sharon Moore was beating Ryan Day back in November. Yeah. So uh, as long as Day is there, we're not winning a title. I don't care who they bring in. Jeff, I appreciate you. What I would say is um, even as late as last year, Ohio State was closer to winning a national title than Michigan was, despite the fact that Michigan had won two straight games. Because it was Ohio State that pushed Georgia to the limit and right. probably should have won that game, if not for a couple of uh, whether a field goal or a DPI call or whatever. So like that, that to me, I, you're just proving my point that the the fragility of fan bases, this Ryan Day <laughs> panic, is yeah. is asinine to me. One more here, Ryan, uh, John. Welcome to the show, John. Hey guys, how you doing? Doing very well, buddy. What you got for us? Uh, I'm just I I, I want to talk two things really quickly, like the Scarlet panic meter, uh, Scarlet and Gray panic meter. Uh-huh. Mine's on a very light gray for this year. I mean, not because Harbaugh is leaving, but because Michigan is losing 40-plus 40, 40 seniors this year. Um, and super and seniors, I, too. They got guys that are like 72 that are leaving Michigan yeah, now. Yeah, Exactly. And then for the Buckeyes, I mean, we got, we're got returning 10 guys that can be going to the draft. We got some of the best players in the portal in Townsend Judkins. And we got a veteran quarterback, got a great OC, so – Brian Day's giving that up. All those guys are coming back, coming to the Buckeyes to win a natty. Um, so, in my eyes, they at least have to make it there. If they make it there and lose, I'm not that upset. But with that said, um, you could make the argument it's natty or bust for the Buckeyes for sure. John, we appreciate you, buddy. Thank you very much. So, um, I, I guess now that we have uh, we've gotten through our Ohio State talk, I can I can have uh, I can admit something. Okay, I. Ness and I are planning um, a, a big to do. We're gonna we're gonna go um, 
uh, not overseas. We're going to go in international waters for the first time together as a couple to celebrate a big birthday for her this year. I can't say what the birthday okay. is because I'd like to stay married and I'd right. like to go on this. I would I would like to pay I would like to not have to pay for another man to go on this vacation with my wife. Correct. So, as I Smart man. A smart man. So, we went to a travel agent for the first time. And the travel agent, like I'm thinking like here's the thing. I'm going to give you money. You're going to tell me what I can do. We're going to go the all-inclusive route and then that's going to be it. <laughs> I didn't realize, like, because the point is that's what the money, not to go full Don Draper, but that is what the money's for. I give you money, you plan things for me, I don't have to do it, and then, boom, I'm sand, you know, my ass in sand coming up in three or four months, whatever. Maybe in the good old days, yes. Well, but what Back in the me. days when you go to AAA to get your trip ticks. Remember those? No, I don't. Oh, no, because I'm actually young. Those, those, those were those were glorious times. When but, you went on vacation somewhere, you go, you get your travel pack and your trip tick, which would be on be the map you flip. Like mm-hmm. that was the big thing driving it, riding in the car. Ooh, we get to flip the page on the map because <laughs> we've gone. So yeah, it's a little different now booking trips. Well, but now from what like, I've been told, not I I don't know because so, I don't have that kind of disposable income, I, but. Yeah, I, I hear it's a big deal now. I thought all encompassing meant you didn't really you, you like you planned it when you, like you would say like oh, Travel, today I'm going to go to board, this this is going to be my dinner this is going to be my lunch. Yeah, this person was gearing us towards well we got to plan out every one of your lunches and dinners as part of this all inclusive thing, and it it kind of drove me crazy because I'm like. Isn't part of being on vacation? On this day, I'll have the filet mignon, and uh, on the next day, I'll have some shrimp. Well, no, is that (laughs) I can make that decision that day. I'm I'm trying to think about when I'm going to want shrimp and when I'm going to want filet mignon and when I'm going to want a burger three months out. My fat ass doesn't know what I want to eat tomorrow for (laughs) breakfast, let alone. And I just, it's opened up this world of people who hyper plan their vacations. Can I get a dozen of donuts delivered by room service? It's a, it's 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 sucking all the ambiance. The whole point of a vacation is you get to kind of live a, a little bit freer than like than like you normally do. Like guys, it is it sucks when I have to plan out for a week. All right, Tuesday we're gonna do this, and and Friday of course <laughs> we're gonna do this pizza night, and then Thursday like I have to do that in my everyday life. Why? When did people, and it's not just people, because it, it's not just like travel agents. Uh, the more I talk about this, I was talking to a friend the other night. He said, and I quote, he plans a, a full vacation out. We're talking about a full vacation, six months out, right. including meals. And I'm not talking about like going to Sandals in Jamaica. I'm talking about like when they go to like Myrtle Beach. Yep. He plans out, okay, Tuesday night we're going to go here, and then lunch is going to be here. Who are these people? What are we doing? This is a level of um, anal retentiveness that I think is unhealthy. Like, what happened to options? <laughs> what happened to woke, waking up and thinking to yourself, you know what? I think I think today we're going to go to the steakhouse, and maybe tomorrow I'm going to feel more like Mexican. Isn't that the part? Isn't that the point of the damn vacation? Uh, also, a little bit of breaking news here uh, to pass along here. Breaking news. On 92 The Fan, presented by BetQL, bet smarter by downloading the BetQL app and use Ohio 25 to get 25% off your first month. Raheem Morris is the new head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. Okay. So, no Bill Belichick. I mean, it's cool for Raheem. Like, Raheem has done the work, and Raheem has rehabilitated his career. Like, he his first job as a head coach was in Tampa, and it was kind of like on the wave of Mike Tomlin's success. 
of like a young defensive backs coach who hadn't didn't really have defensive coordinator experience or limited that experience, and it just didn't work out. The team was not – I mean, it was in the ashes of the John Gruden era. This is cool. That, that Atlanta team, he should be able to step in there. They've got a lot of talent on that Atlanta team. How about Bill Belichick now? It doesn't look like he's getting hired anywhere, and he's 27 wins shy of the all-time record. I think he it's He did insane. the mutual parting of the ways instead of be, making Kraft fire him and stuff. Like, what – what a miscalculation. Uh, I mean, he's still he's going to be okay, but it oh, still is no, I, it's befuddling. I mean, it's I, befuddling I, that Bill Belichick can't get another job. Listen, I'm not I'm not shedding a tear for the guy. I'm just saying that I don't think that this worked out the way he thought it was going to work out. We're going to we're going to continue on the conversation about planning meals on your vacations in advance because you people are sick. There who if you're doing that, that is a level of mental illness that I cannot I got to see if Keith is into that cuz you know, he's all swollen stuff. He looks like he might plan that. Mac barely knows what he's going to do with the next day. Like, he just knows he's going to school. I almost said going to school. <laughs> kind of. A little bit there. The latest on the Cleveland Browns offensive coordinator search, Brian Johnson, interviewing with the Browns today. Um, the Browns had requested to speak with uh, Chargers offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore. Apparently, they've been granted that, as Mary Kay Cabot just tweeting out just a little bit ago here, um, that uh, Kellen Moore's interview with the Browns for their o- offensive coordinator position is going to be on Friday. So the names continue to roll in, and it'll be really interesting to see the reaction. From my standpoint, I'm just I'm more intrigued by how Browns fans are taking this in. I, I think the general idea of what the Browns are doing is it seems like they're building a collaborative oh – God, I'm starting to just use their words – they're starting to build kind of a supercharged offensive staff with a bunch of young, bright minds. And so I'm really intrigued to see how many hires there are, how they kind of line up. And obviously, we still have an eye on whether Bill Callahan will or won't be the offensive line coach. Initially, I really feared. The second Brian Callahan got that Tennessee job, I, I feared Bill was gone. That doesn't seem to be fait accompli. That seems to have cooled that concern. But obviously, we got the Jim Harbaugh stuff. He's going to the Chargers to be their head coach. Uh, they need to they need to find a a GM as well. And there's a, there's a rumor that they could be not rumor. There's a report that they could be taking from the Ravens front office uh, one of the uh, the trusted assistants of Eric DaCosta. So a lot up in the air right now. Oh, by the way, the conference championships in the NFL this weekend. And then we have that weird abyss in between the conference championships and the Super Bowl, which I'm not looking forward to, but I am looking forward to this weekend. And I am looking forward to our next guest. We talk with him every single Thursday at 520. The great Albert Breer of the MMQB on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Albert, welcome to the show. What's up? Oh, just living in this weird world where Ohio State fans are somehow counting a victory because Jim Harbaugh went to the NFL. Just that. Yeah, yeah. Are you counting uh, it as well, a victory? Sorry, and I'm like, my bad. I'm just checking my phone again. It is like, it is, you know what's funny? It's like, so like I got a, I got a few text groups I'm on with my friends from school, and um, one of them yesterday was like, like, oh, well, this is great because now I can actually root for that, that the crazy bastard and really <laughs> enjoy the crazy bastard. And, uh, you know, it's weird because, like, I, and I was saying this to Keith off the air, like, I do feel like more Ohio State people actually, like, deep down, as much as they hated him the last nine years, kind of like a lot of things about the guy. And so now that he's out of Ann Arbor, 
it's like you can actually appreciate that, you know, which is um, which is kind of a funny way that that whole rivalry thing works, you know. So in terms of the overall process here, it felt like from the time they won the national championship to the time he was announced as going to L.A., it felt like the longest two-week period or something about the two, two, or, two or three weeks. Why did the actual – because it did feel like he was either going to the Chargers yeah. or he was going, to, uh, going back to Michigan. Why did this take that, that you know, two- to three-week time period when it, we kind of knew the players for the entire time of this process? Yeah, I just think as much as anything else, it's like, you know, his past experience, of course, and, um, you know, like some of the things that went wrong in San Francisco. And I don't think it was ever like money, although money's always a part of it. There's some back and forth there. I think more so it's just, um, you know, you go through it and, all right, like what's ownership's role going to be day to day? What's the owner's son who is the president of football operations, John Spanos, how is he going to interact with me? Am I going to bring my own general manager? Are you going to pay my defensive coordinator to come with me from Michigan? Um, you know, I think it's a lot of things like that. It's, you know, am I completely comfortable with the infrastructure here? And are they going to be willing to invest around me to give me the best chance to avoid some of the things that went wrong at the end in San Francisco? And so I, I think that that sort of thing can take some time. And in the grand scheme of things, too, Nick, here's the thing. It's been, what, 10 days since they won the national title? Maybe a little more than that, right? Mm -hmm. 10 days? Yeah, it sounds about right. Or two and a half weeks, whatever it's been. But grand scheme of things, that's not that long. That's not that long a period of time. And, you know, again, I think a big part of it is just, like, vetting the whole thing and then getting a chance to um, really look under the hood and make sure you're comfortable with everything. Because, you know, obviously, based on his age and everything else, this could be, you know, the last run that he has of going and trying to win a Super Bowl. Albert, how should Browns fans feeling about adding Harbaugh to an already loaded AFC? Um, I mean, I don't – it definitely doesn't make things easier. Um, but I think, you know, with so many of these guys coming back next year, it was already going to be difficult. So you just sort of throw another log in the fire. I mean, you know, the Chiefs, the flawed Chiefs team is back in the AFC title game. There's a chance that a roster's better next year. Um, you know, Buffalo, you would assume, might be a little healthier next year than they were this year. Cincinnati didn't have Joe Burrow. He'll be coming back. Um, you know, the Browns themselves, you know, with Deshaun Watson's health and the health of their tackles, you know. Like, so, you know, I look across the conference, and obviously, like, we sit here um, with one more AFC game to go this year. And, you know, what we thought it was going to be isn't close to the reality, right? Um, but, you know, I, I – think like looking forward you knew what you were dealing with at the beginning of this year you assume with a couple of different twists and turns it's gonna be much more difficult next year than it was this year and it'll look a lot more next year like we thought it would look like this year and so i think adding harbaugh to that mix is just throwing another log in the fire albert Preer of the mmqb on the north homestead chrysler jeep dodge ram hotline um this is something I'm watching with a slight bit of paranoia. Should we expect Bill Callahan back in Cleveland at this moment? I think the I, I think the answer to that is yes. Now I think the answer to that is yes because they've invested more than three million dollars a year in him. Um, they've now lost their offensive coordinator in Alex Van Pelt, um, and I think based on like where the staff is and where Kevin have that staff when they start OTAs in May and just the health of that staff. And, you know, 
Alex is a really important piece of that whole puzzle, just as far as being kind of a glue guy there. I think losing somebody as important as Bill Callahan would be devastating, so I think they're going to do whatever it takes to keep him. Um, and look, like, I mean, I don't know. Like, one thing I can't say is how strong Bill Callahan's desire to get close with his kid would be. And if, like, he goes into Kevin Stefanski's office and says, look, I really want to do this, maybe all this will be off. But I, I do get the... I do do get the sense that Cleveland's going to do everything it possibly can to keep Bill Callahan on the staff in 2024. Albert, Brian uh, Johnson, the former Eagles OC, interviewing with the Browns today about their coordinator job. Uh, Kellen Moore, uh, according to Mayor Kate Cabot, will be interviewing on Friday. There have been a, a litany of names here. Is there a perceived favorite or a front runner for the Browns' offensive coordinator job at the moment? Yeah, you know, the name I was kind of keeping an eye on, and we'll see whether or not he goes in there to interview, is Tim Kelly. Um, you know, and, and Tim worked with Deshaun in Houston and had a really strong relationship with him. It's pretty well thought of. Was a tight zone last year, obviously. Um, you know, at the, obviously got fired as part of the, the purge there with Mike Vrabel. Um, but Tim Kelly was the one that kind of stuck out to me. And on top of that, Bill O'Brien, before he went to Ohio State, is guys who've had a lot of success with Deshaun in the past. Um, Kellen would 100% make some sense. Um, he's obviously called plays now for two different teams, and he's pretty well accomplished. He'd be kind of taking on a distressed asset there um, in that like he hasn't seen maybe quite the same way he was a year or two ago, but he's really accomplished. Um, so, like, I, I, like I, my, my, my feeling is, like, the, the, the reason for this move was because of people higher up than Kevin um, feeling like they had to do something to get a little bit more out of, Deshaun. So, you know, I think that's why you see the first two guys come in and Kellen Moore and Brian Johnson being guys who've been very focused over their careers in the quarterback position. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if, you know, we see some more guys in there who have actually had past experience with Deshaun on the field. Albert, one name that has already been uh, reported to have been hired by the Browns, if they have not been confirmed by the Browns, is new tight ends coach uh, Tommy Reese, who's formerly the OC yep. at Notre Dame and Alabama. And I'm just curious how that hiring has been received, considering they fired a guy in T.C. McCartney who just led David Njoku to his best season as a tight end. Yeah, and I think that one's fascinating. And I think it's uh, more than position position specific. It's a chance for Kevin Stefanski to get another guy who's got you know, creative mind in the building, you know, and obviously you have to find a place for him. So you make him the tight ends coach, but that was my perception of that move anyway, just from, you know, kicking over some rocks on it. And, um, you know, he will bring some ideas from the college level that I think can help you continue to evolve and build the offense. Um, I think it's also indicative of what's happening at the college game, you know, where like there are a lot of guys at that level who want to get to the NFL um, and in a lot of cases for non-football reasons, just because of the lifestyle now of college coaches with everything you have to do with the transfer portal and NIL and, and recruiting and how crazy all of it's gotten. Um, there are certainly a lot of coaches in the, at, the, at the college level who are looking to get to the NFL level. And, and this is a pathway to do it is, you know, coordinator going and becoming a position coach, um, you know, at the, at, in the NFL um, I, I think from that perspective, this will be just the start of a lot more of that in the years to come. Albert, I'm asking this question blindly. There's nothing behind it. It's 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 an honest question just based off the last two years, how things have gone for the Browns and Deshaun. 
Do we know if, if the relationship between the Browns and Deshaun has shown any signs of strain after what has been a pretty frustrating first two years together? I think things are okay right now. Um, you know, I mean, obviously the pressure is going to be amped up next year. Um, and for obvious reasons, right? So they win um, 11 games and make it to the playoffs and, um, you know, do it with four different quarterbacks and do it with your know, fourth and fifth tackles. And so there's going to be a lot of pressure on everybody to match that next year if they have a healthier team. And there's going to be a lot of pressure on Deshaun to play well because if you look at it, right, like, you know, we see how good the team is when, you, when you're able to play with, you know, different types of quarterbacks and they're able to win with different types of quarterbacks. So, you know, ultimately that contract you gave Deshaun is because you think he can elevate people around you. And so, like, all right, like, let's see it now. Like, let's see where he can take a team that was clearly ready to win in 2023 when you're going into 2024. Um, you know, and, and, and the interesting thing about it, too, of course, is that you're going to be doing it with a remade offensive staff, which, you know, once again, like, I think is going to be, a, you know, about getting more out of Deshaun Watson, which only will amp up the pressure more on, um, on, 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 on Watson to play more like the player he was in 2018, 2019, 2020. Albert, the Browns have four finalists for NFL honors. Uh, Kevin Stefanski for Coach of the Year, Joe Flacco for Comeback Player of the Year, Jim Schwartz, uh, Jim Schwartz, not Jim Schwartz, uh, Jim Schwartz for uh, Assistant Coach of the Year, and Miles Garrett for Defensive Player of the Year. Of those four awards, who do you think have, have has the best chance of winning those awards? So you said Defensive Player of the Year, Coach of the Year, Assistant Coach of the Year, and what was the other one? Comeback Player of the Year. Um, so I think the comeback player of the year is going to be DeMar Hamlin. Um, I would say, I would say, I would say I feel most confident probably about Miles Garrett, although Kevin's a really good candidate too. Um, I, I think Miles Garrett's probably the one. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just think, you know, the level he played at the, the ability to take over a game, obviously we all saw what he did against Indianapolis, um, you know, that week. Um, and the fact, I think, you know, Schwartz said it himself to someone, maybe it was Peter King, I can't remember who it was, but said to somebody, like, this is the one player I've ever, one of three guys I've ever coached. I think one of them was Calvin Johnson. I can't remember who the other one was, where, like, everything the opponent does has to be based on the presence of that one guy, you know? Sort of says everything you need to say. And so it does feel like Miles Garrett's been knocking on the door, you know, of this for a while. And and this 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 like very much in a lot of ways, even though he didn't have the sack protect production down the stretch, was to me the year that he broke through and he deserves to have it. And so I would say Miles Garrett, but I wouldn't. I, I I'll put it this way: I would say both Garrett and Stefanski would be the favorites to win their awards. With uh, with Garrett, maybe a little bit a stronger, a little bit of a stronger favorite than than Stefanski is. Albert, getting back to the uh, the coaching side of things, uh, Raheem Morris is the new head coach in Atlanta. Yeah. Is is Bill Belichick going to get shut out on this job cycle? I think there's a good chance. Yeah, well, it feels that way, um, and that one's fascinating because I think that has as much to do with the infrastructure of the Falcons and what people around um, Arthur Blank wanted to do and what Blank himself wanted to do, and you know how all this stuff works. Um, yeah, I think Blank went into the process much wanting, very much wanting to hire Bill Belichick, and very much wanting to see what he could do with the greatest coach of all time. And, you know, and then, you know, obviously the, the process plays out. And I think the other people in the building, you know, it was, well, do we blow the whole building up, you know? And as 
time went by, you know, I think Arthur Blank was slowly kind of moved off of his spot by some people who, you know, quite frankly, might not have been there um, if Bill wound up getting the job. So I think that as much as anything else is what it was, was, and Raheem's a great quaint candidate. I think he's going to do an awesome job. But if you want to talk specifically about what happened with Bill, I think that was it, was that, um, you know, Arthur Blank went into it intending for Bill to be his guy and then got moved off of his spot by some people whose jobs might have been in jeopardy if Bill had gotten the job. Albert to Buffalo, I wanted to fire Sean McDermott myself on the fourth and five call at his own 30 in that game. Uh, It turned out to not matter because of the fumble out of the side of the end zone. I am curious, is Sean McDermott 100% safe moving forward this year with Buffalo? I think so, yeah. I mean, I don't think they would have put him him out there the other day, so I'm going to say yes. Um, I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see what he does on the offensive side. If he keeps Joe Brady, I assume he would because that's what Josh Allen wants. Um, and does he does he hire a defensive coordinator? You know, so I think there are still some moving parts there, but I expect Sean McDermott to be back in 2024. All right, getting it back to the Ohio State Michigan thing. Given how well this month has gone for Ohio State, and I don't say how poorly because Michigan's going to be just fine, <laughs> whether it's Sharon Moore or Alex Orgy as a quarterback, whatever. I'm curious if we gone from it it was simply um, beat Michigan or bust to now it's national title or bust for Ohio State. Yeah, I would say based on everything that they've um, put on, put, put put into the program, um, what is it, seven, eight guys who are probably top 100 picks coming back to school, all those guys draft eligible, um, you know, going and getting, um, you know, going, going and getting Caleb Downs from Alabama, um, you know, going and getting Will Howard from Kansas State. It does feel like all those chips have been pushed into the middle of the table. Um so, you know, at the very least, beat Michigan, win the Big Ten. Um, I still think, like, if you look at this group and what they have and, and where they could go defensively, potentially, with the group that they have, and then if they can be good enough at quarterback, which is Ryan Day's specialty, and you bring in Bill O'Brien to help on that side, um, I think I think that they, that they like either they or Georgia are preseason number one. And in that sort of scenario, of course, it would be disappointing if you don't win the whole thing. Albert, you're the best, buddy. Appreciate you, and uh, enjoy the conference championship round this weekend. All right. Thanks, Nick. I, uh, I hope, uh, hope hope Dustin feels better. All right. I'll <laughs> let him know, buddy. All right. All right. And he did give us a specific name. I just think it's interesting. You know, we started the show when Daryl was here talking about, you know, who's the Jim Schwartz here of, of this. And to me, what Jim Schwartz was, he was proven as a individually as a defensive coordinator meaning his defensive units always outperformed expectations or met expectations in Philly and in Tennessee. He, um, he was a, a former head coach. And and then not only did he get the best out of players, his teams also won when he was a defensive coordinator or had moments like winning the Super Bowl. So you look at that, you've got a wealth of experience, you've got a, a track record you can trust, and you've got a guy who's also has the added advantage of being a former head coach. There really isn't that guy, at least as of right now, in in the conversation. I think there's a lot of interesting names. I think there's a lot of names that have traction around the NFL, like Kellen Moore's, and, and Mary Kay Cabot had it earlier this hour, that uh, Kellen's going to be interviewing on Friday. He was the the Chargers OC last year. He's gonna He was uh, Dallas's offensive coordinator for a couple years and play caller. You know, the, the, the lure of that is – 
the style of offense that he coached in both Dallas and and in, in L.A., the fact that he has been a play caller for, I want to say, three or four years of, of his time in the NFL, the fact that he is young, and the fact that he has an outside perspective on on this offense. So there's a lot of value there, even if you look at it and go, yeah, okay, but well, how the offense is going to last two years? And how was the offense in Dallas? It got better when he went to L.A. That's 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 the downside here. With Brian Johnson, we mentioned Brian Johnson, who apparently interviewed today. Brian Johnson's a guy that he was Dan Mullins, quarterback's coach and offensive coordinator at Florida. He played, I think it was for Urban at Utah. If it wasn't for Urban, it was for uh, Kyle Winningham. And then he's, you know, he's been in the spread offense. He succeeded in college. And honestly, a one-year sample size, what the, the big thing people are going to say is, well, he just got fired in, um, in Philadelphia. And what I would say is he was a first-time play caller taking over for a guy that got a head coaching job and just led them to Jalen Hurts' best season as an offensive coordinator. So I don't know it's fair to, to, well, he got fired. That's a gross oversimplification. I think anybody that you hire in this stretch, perceptionally, you're going to be able to pick apart. So I think if you're looking for a way to look at what the Browns are doing and try and gauge whether this is going to work or not, I think the better way is, is in totality, how do the pieces fit together? You know, you've got a guy like Tommy Reese as your tight ends coach who's got play calling experience in college. He was a uh, offensive coordinator at two major programs. He's 31 years old, and he's thought to be a really, as a former college quarterback, really, really bright X's and O's kind of guy. So what they do, and, and whether they split up the, the offensive coordinator job and the quarterback's coach, whether they, uh, whether they go to passing game coordinator, run game coordinator, all that kind of stuff, in reality, I think we – I'm intrigued by every one of the names that even Ken Dorsey, I'm intrigued by the names. I'm not sold on any of the names. And, you know, the one name that Albert had kind of pointed out feels like that guy's going to be available. And it's, uh, it's Tim Kelly, who was the offensive coordinator of Tennessee last year. He, I think the last year Deshaun was there. Um, he was the, the play caller for, for Deshaun. It's not the sexiest name. It's a guy who's been effectively fired twice in roughly four years. But where I think it makes sense is he has experience with Deshaun. He he has he has coached in an offense that has gotten the most out of Deshaun. And this is another name that you can add to the conversation that might give Deshaun a 10% chance better because of that familiarity to be the best version of himself. This is a long-winded way of saying, I don't know that there's any name that is going to make all Cleveland fans do what we did all year long, which was I trust in Jim Schwartz. I don't know that there's the the Bill Callahan equivalent here. But I will say, overall, I think the Browns' offensive coordinator search to this point has been very interesting. I don't know how to do this without taking shots. I think it's cool that Billy Joel and Rod Stewart are going to come to the, the Browns stadium. I should lead with that before I kind of have the conversation we have the conversation. Because it made me think about this. Like I, I shared earlier in the show when Daryl was here that you know, Ness and I got Aerosmith tickets because she's never seen them. And this is allegedly Aerosmith's uh, farewell tour. Uh, I say allegedly because you just never know. Like, Kiss Kiss literally had a farewell tour, and like 
a week ago, Gene Simmons is like, yeah, I think we could be getting the band back together. It's like, that's not how farewell this is like rock bands have more retirements than Ric Flair. And it's getting a little much for me, but like when I got the, the Aerosmith tickets, I did it understanding that I don't think I'm not, I'm not going to see the best version of Aerosmith I've ever seen. All right. Like I know I, I saw them with, I actually think it was kiss about 20 years ago at blossom. And I think I saw them. They did some hair band tribute act. So, so some hair band was on tour with them. It's like a year later. I, I went and saw that too. Cause that back when I was in high school, I was really into Aerosmith. It was one of my favorite bands and I've, I've evolved since, but in going to this concert, I know I'm going to hear dream on. And it's going to be about 60% of what dream on is on on radio, right? Or on 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 vinyl. And yet I'm still going. And so like there has to be a point. Like the the Rolling Stones are coming to town as well. And I'm a late in life Stones fan, all right? Um, glaucoma medication and vinyl have, have opened my mind to the Mick Taylor era. So like, I'm, I'm, I'm there. There's, there's about four albums. They blew my mind. All the other stuff is just kind of stuff, right? Like they have a new album. Good for them. You know what? They're 80. Good for them. But like, you're going to go see Mick Jagger and there's going to be a part of you that says that dude is old as balls. Like that dude, I mean, for the love of God, and he's doing the same seductive chicken face thing that that like got women hot and bothered 40 years ago. And there's going to be a part of me that as somebody who who intuitively understands the hilarity of situations, there's going to be a part of me that laughs internally at that. So I'm wondering, like when you go to see, let's say, an advanced age act, is part of it just to say you saw him? Like, like, do you, like, when you buy tickets for Billy Joel and, and Rod Stewart, is part of you realize it could be not a good show? I'm not trying to be a D here. I'm just saying, like, I saw Black Keys, I saw Cage the Elephant open up for Black Keys a decade ago. And it was right before Cage hit. Like, well, Cage had already had that first album with Ain't No Rest for the Wicked, but like, they had been building to being an open a, a, a headline band themselves. So that was like their last opening tour. And so I saw a band on the on the cusp, and that was right after um the keys, that that big album they had with like a gold on the ceiling and everything, right before they kind of went on a little hiatus because of the pressure of being that big of a band. So they were one one band ascending at their peak. And they were, both bands were insane live. So when I go to see a band that is like under 60, let's just say, I do go expecting this thing. Like I saw Lucas Nelson and Promise of the Real a few weeks back, or a few months back, House of the Blues. If I had gone there and they were playing the songs that I love at 60% of what they, I'd be pissed. I'd be like, what the hell? Like what, you're, you're 30. Like what, what are we doing here? But admittedly, like I'm going to Arizona, I'm, I'm going to Aerosmith to kind of say goodbye. You know what I mean? Like, I, there's a morbid curiosity factor, and so like, I'm gonna go see Billy Joel sit on a bench and kind of be an old man singing a song that he used to he used to really relate to. 
right? Like, I'm not being an a-hole on this, right? Like, when you buy tickets to a senior citizen rock band, you're you're not expecting to be blown away, right? You're kind of expecting just to sing along to the songs that you love, and you're kind of just going, in some ways, potentially in case it's their last tour, right? Like, I'm not, uh, am, am I being an a-hole here? Because I'm getting, I'm getting some looks in the studio that might be being a bit of an a-hole here. I don't think so. I think, honestly, part of it is just, like you said, say that you saw it to say that you saw it. Because I feel like people ask you, what what are some of your favorite concerts or who are some of the people that you've seen? Mm-hmm. And at least you can say, oh, I've saw, I've seen Aerosmith. They never ask you, what when year you saw did them? you yeah, see Aerosmith? Yeah, like, did you see, it's like a wine. <laughs> did you see, did you see, uh, you know, 88 Aerosmith? All right. Did you see? Except they get better with age. That maybe we we strike that and reverse it rather than wine. Um. Yeah. You, you see, O five Aerosmith, or did you see twenty twenty four Aerosmith? Uh, Captain Jim saying, uh, would you not go to see Terry Funk at his thirty second retirement match just to say you saw him, Terry Funk over Ric Flair? I mean, I guess, but like. I don't know. Listen, I do not begrudge any of these acts for continuing to make money. Paul McCartney is 80 years old. He cannot hit 12% of the notes that he could hit, um, I don't know, 20 years ago. Actually, probably 30 years ago. He shot his voice fairly early. It's like Robert Plant. Like, Robert Plant has not been Robert Plant since, like, 1985. Um, But the point is, I don't begrudge them, but I also don't go into it with the same expectations. And I really feel like I'm just kind of being an a-hole here. The more I talk about it, the worse it gets. So I'm going to go with Tommy. Tommy, welcome to the show, buddy. Thank you, Nick. Nick, I got to tell you, being back in the day, okay, I saw Aerosmith and Joe Cocker at um, Edgewater Park. Uh-huh. It was a free. It was a free show. Okay, Aerosmith. Did, it was before Walk Walk This Way. Okay, um, Walking the Dog was their big hit. Mm-hmm. So anyway, they played. It was wonderful. And then Joe Cocker came out. He was so effed up. I mean, it, he almost passed out on the piano on, like a, on his third song. Aerosmith came back out, did a couple of his songs, and finished the show. It was incredible. It was unbelievable. And it was. And then you know, then I saw Aerosmith after that. But this 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 was just the way music was back in the day. It was a free concert. It was unbelievable. So let me ask you: Do you have yeah. higher expectations if you were to go see Aerosmith this year? than you did in 1975 when we when you went to go see Aerosmith. No. And it's like, okay, I don't think you can hit the notes that you want to hit. All right. Okay. I've seen the stone I've seen the stones three times. My wife looked up the pricing for the tickets. Nosebleeds were like three hundred dollars. It's like, well I'm not gonna go see these geezers for three hundred dollars. I've seen them three times, you know? Tommy and, uh, now yeah. No, go ahead real quick. No, no, it's just like, you know, these guys are living on their past. You know what I mean? They can't sing like they used to. Tommy, we appreciate you. I kind of feel vindicated by what Tommy said. I kind of feel like I had been trying to, like, maybe maybe soften the blow a little bit here. We're just a couple friends. We're just a couple bros broing out. I just want to make sure, like, we all admit that when we go to see one of the geriatric bands that, like, and Billy Joel's not going to hit every note in Piano Man. I mean, we got to be okay with that, right? Like, because I I think if you're going to Billy Joel and you're expecting 1988 Billy Joel, I think you're the a hole. Like, I think 
I think if you expect Rod Stewart, if you're a, if you're a big uh, female Rod Stewart fan, and you're expecting him to get things moving the way that they did 50 years ago, I think that's on you. Hey, we're we're in song songbook Rod Stewart right now. When you go to see a geriatric band or performer, are you expecting it to be good? There's a curiosity about this. Craig saying, I saw Tom Petty on two of his farewell tours and wasn't even his final one. Saw Rolling Stones a few years ago in Detroit. They were surprisingly still good. I have tickets to Aerosmith and worried. Hope they get back on tour. That, I like to be surprised. Because here's the thing. I When it's a when it's a young band or a, a, a prime of their life band, I have high expectations because I'm paying an ass load to see them. I then lower the expectations for the older bands even though I'm paying three times the price for those tickets, hoping they can still clear the bar. Like, all right, you know what, Steven? Steven and Joe, I'm going to put this bar right here. Clear this bar, and we'll be okay. I was going to say, as a concert goer, would you rather go in with the high expectations, or would you rather go in with the low expectations of, like, an older band versus, like, the high expectations of, like, a band that's, like, on the cusp there? It should be relative to how much you pay that it it can't be. It's got to be... It's like relative from where their last hit was, right? Like, like Aerosmith's last good song was on like uh, the album that had Pink on it in like 1997. It's been 30, it's been, you know, damn near 30 years. Eh, we should go ahead and just kind of bring it down a notch. Also, another thing, I will not see a comedian pass their prime anymore. I, I can, I will not. Uh, John Mulaney, peak of his powers. I will see John Mulaney. Um, I will see. Honestly, Chappelle's kind of teetering on the edge, but Chappelle, Bill Burr, those guys still have a fastball. Jerry Seinfeld, you could not pay me to see Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, Ken backs up what you're saying here. He texts in that uh, it's not about seeing them at their very best anymore. It's about the experience and being able to say he saw them before they all died. And and that's so morbid. And that's so weird. Like... Ness and I were talking, and the reason why I'm bringing this all up is Vanessa is convinced Aerosmith is going to be like, oh, my God. And I'm like, Steven Tyler literally is so old that he's screaming his voice out of his mouth. Like, they had to, they had to, they had to delay a little bit of this tour, the Cleveland show, because his voice cannot handle touring anymore. And she's like, oh, it's going to be so great. And I'm like, maybe we should just hope for really just enjoyable, right? Maybe we should sing Dream On so loud that if maybe he's not hitting the notes, then we both won't be hitting the notes. You know what I mean? Like it'll be, let's let's meet each other in the middle. I'll sing poorly, you'll sing poorly, but hopefully I'm too drunk to notice. And hopefully, hopefully Steven's so sober that he's just, it's just, he's just happy to be out there, right? Just good for you, dog. You just get out there and just be old and just be singing and I'll just be drunk and it'll be good. And by good, I mean... It'll happen. That's where we are. And her expectations are she's going to see Aerosmith in uh, in 77 before Blow became a problem for the band. Okay? Maybe that's 76 or 75. 216-474-0092. When you go to see an advanced age act, are you expecting it to be the end-all be-all? Or are you lowering your expectations? It's important for our next conversation to have this as part of the conversation and part of the backdrop of the conversation. I realized this week I am not in any way over the Houston loss. Um, 
It is so difficult to separate how what an awesome, fun season it was where this team defied expectations, defied the odds at every single opportunity, and where they turned bleep into Shinola at every single opportunity. They turned lemons into lemonade damn near every opportunity. And, and yet, it was as exhausting of a Brown season as I can remember, but it was so much fun. And December, specifically, you know, December's even in, in good starts of the season under Kevin Stefanski. December has been an interesting spot for Kevin Stefanski teams. So it's been tough to admit how irritated, um, red-assed to go Ken Carmen, how just completely nonplussed I am about what happened in the playoffs. Because it just didn't feel like the Browns were in the playoffs. And I have to admit that so we can then have the next conversation. Because I heard Mike Florio on uh, the Midday Show where Mike did exactly what Mike does, where Mike pointed out that, you know, it's, it's going to be tougher in the AFC next year. Joe Burrow's going to be healthy. Uh, you know, uh, Aaron Rodgers is going to be healthy. Um, they Obviously, now with the Jim Harbaugh news and – my take on this is, listen, I do think, and I can understand how much more tricky next year could be for the Cleveland Browns, right? If Pittsburgh actually decided to get serious about winning and went and got a, a, a quarterback who actually didn't suck, as opposed to Mason Rudolph or Kenny Pickett, this division would get even tougher. If Joe Burrow bounces back as 100%, which everybody expects, this division gets tougher. Look to the AFC at large. We mentioned Aaron Rodgers. You you look around the NFL. I, I don't think uh, Jacksonville is going to have two straight down seasons in a row. Trevor Lawrence, I think, that is another opportunity for him to take a step forward. Jim Harbaugh going to the Chargers. But I just don't – like, I pay attention to what every team does outside of Cleveland in, in your division because it does matter. But in the end, if the Browns take care of what the Browns have to take care of, and I don't know what, like, honestly, uh, there's a part of this that this just, eh, Deshaun, stay healthy. There is a part of this that it's that simple. And, but even if we just go beyond the simplicity of if Deshaun stays healthy, things are going to be okay and things should be fun, right? There are things you can do as an organization to put yourself in the best possible scenario. The Browns this last year, the Browns did not Deshaun-proof the team because they brought back Backup quarterbacks and Josh Dobbs and DTR, they they added DTR, and we saw this team struggle with the backup quarterback position after Deshaun got hurt both times until Joe Flacco took over in December. But every other position, they, in, in ways, Deshaun-proofed, or, or rather quarterback injury-proofed their team. They built the deepest defensive side of the ball that they've had. This this last year, they had more depth than it was. It, this bears out how, how they actually performed down the stretch after losing certain guys, but guys like Mo Hurst and hitting on Mo Hurst. But even, I mean, the frontline moves, uh, trading for Zedaria Smith, um, you know, uh, signing Dalvin Tomlinson. Uh, what they did with their their abilities to both uh, find safeties uh, in in Juan Thornhill and then drafting a guy like Ronnie Hickman and bringing along a guy like DeAnthony Bell. So the Browns did this last offseason. It was the best job Andrew Barry has has done of building the rest of the roster out. So if the Browns do that again, yes, you're going to have concerns about Deshaun. 
The Browns can't do anything about that. They can't cut Deshaun. They can't trade Deshaun, right? Like you can bring in a good backup or you can bring back uh, Joe Flacco. But like everybody focuses, oh man, Chargers hired Jim Harbaugh. Like what are we going to do? I don't care. Just, just hiring Jim Harbaugh doesn't fix a team that has massive foundational flaws. It might make them a better team just because he's a good coach and seems to be a better coach than Brandon Staley. But it's not like the Browns are the paupers. It's not like Hugh Jackson is your coach anymore. It's not like Freddie Kitchens is your head coach anymore. So there's a part of me every time somebody's court, they trades for a good quarterback or, you know, C.J. Stroud, honestly, his development in Houston adds a, another wrinkle. There's another really great quarterback in this division. And, you know, Bomani Jones was talking about, uh, you know, where does Deshaun rank in the AFC? I don't care. That's perception. Perception in, in January doesn't matter to me. Perception in April does not matter to me. What matters to me is that as we go on the next journey of this offseason, the next five months, that you supercharge your offensive staff by finding the right offensive coordinator in any other position that you hire there. I, I really already do like the Deuce Staley move. Uh, that you make really smart choices about who you bring in around the guys that you have because you have enough upper echelon talent. You proved that this year. And how you actually maximize your draft collateral even though you have a first-round pick. If the Browns nail all that, guys, they're going to be really competitive. And and this idea of, well, but Deshaun, but Deshaun with the health. Yeah, no, you know what, Sherlock? Like, no bleep. Yes, if a quarterback has injury problems, it's tough to win. Welcome to the NFL. Thank you for that just marvelous piece of analysis. But I don't care. Like, I care what happens around the Browns to an extent. I care more that the Browns put themselves for the second straight offseason, that they build. Because here's the thing. It's easier to ace this offseason than it was a year ago. You you went in a year ago with a brand-new coaching staff. Uh, with What is it? Two-thirds of your coordinators being replaced. With the, the big question being Deshaun's play, not Deshaun's health. Then you've got... Um, who's going to be your wide receivers? Um, you know, th- rebuild the entirety of the defensive line outside of Miles. Uh, rebuild maybe the linebacker crew, which they kind of just brought everybody back. But you know, rebuild the safety room. Oh, and by the way, you still don't have a first round pick. That was an ass load of moves, and they still have. Like, if you can find a good, like a really nice wide receiver, that's expensive. That's not easy to find. It's not cheap. Um, if you could find a a true starting defensive end across from Miles, you know, I mentioned Joey Bosa maybe getting cut in with the Chargers. That'd be a dream. You might have to find your next Zadarius Smith. You might have to bring back Zadarius. I don't know. So it's not that the Browns don't have questions. Every team in the NFL has questions. Every team in the AFC right now is racking their brains saying, how do I get into the playoffs? Right, if I'm the eighth seed from this last year, or the tenth seed, or if I'm Denver, or if I'm Cincinnati, and every team in the playoffs is thinking to themselves, how do I stay in the playoffs, or how do I go from the fifth seed to the one seed? That's every year in the off season. But because Cleveland fans react at mass to anything that is said about their team, jabronis like Mike Florio, and Mike, by the way, Mike makes more money than me. Mike is more successful. Kudos to him. But Mike knows what he's doing when he says, eh, 
Yeah, it's going to be really tough to compete. <laughs> really? Woo. You got me there. He reel it in there with those hot takes about how tough it's going to be. But I thought it was interesting. Yesterday, we had Ross Tucker on. Because I, to me, I always just focus on the Browns. What can the Browns do to get, can I just go full Kevin Stefanski, to get 1% better today? Whereas everybody else points it to the rest of the, the competitive landscape. And I asked Ross, you know, what's a bigger deal? Is it Deshaun's health? Is it the Browns? Or is it what's happening around them in the AFC? I don't know about Deshaun's health, so I'm going to say the overall competitiveness of the AFC because it's just rough. I mean, look at the four quarterbacks that played this weekend. They're all better than Deshaun Watson, and they're going to be. And then who are the other guys that didn't play that are still better than him? Burrow, Herbert. I mean, if you really list it, even if he's healthy next year, is Deshaun Watson a top eight quarterback in the AFC? Mahomes, Josh Allen, DJ Stroud, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Tua Tungavailoa. I mean, he was unquestionably one of the top five guys in 2020 in the whole league. And now it's a real battle to consider him a top seven guy in just the AFC. If you put Tua in the NFC, Tua would be a top five quarterback. If you put Justin Herbert, even with his up and down as the Chargers have been, if you put Justin Herbert on an up-and-down franchise in the NFC. Justin Herbert would be a top-five quarterback. So those are guys who played last year, who played at a pretty high level, who would struggle to be top-five quarterbacks in this, in this conference. But what Ross is speaking to is not the reality of the situation. One, Deshaun has not met the bar that everybody wants him to meet. And as long as he has not met that bar, until he's until you can say the trade paid off and he is worth what they paid for him, which will entail a full season of health, which will entail 35 touchdowns, which, which will entail going to the playoffs and winning a playoff game, until he does that, the wheels of perception in the NFL are against Deshaun. And, and so the thing that I took umbrage with what Ross had to say and where I just vehemently disagree is this idea that, well, even if Deshaun was healthy, you know, he's not going to be seen as one of the, the the top seven quarterbacks in the AFC. I don't think you can say that. I mean, I think you I think it's fair to say that now because he's he's played eleven games in in two seasons. And if you look at the stat line, the stat line isn't the sexiest stat line in the NFL. I'll also say Deshaun put in a lot better football this year than he did last year. And it felt like if you look at the, nove- the the last three games, it felt like Deshaun was pushing to something closer to the level that we we expect from Deshaun. And if we think back to the way he played in the second half of that Baltimore game, now, people will say, well, but he didn't throw the deep ball a lot. That's fair. He also had two separate shoulder injuries. But I think it, I think it is talking out of both sides of your mouth to say, well, you know, um, yeah, I mean, it's just a really tough competitive landscape. And yeah, if Deshaun's completely healthy next year, they're they're still not going to win. I, 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 and while at the same point, kissing the ass of Aaron, I'm not saying Ross is doing this, I'm saying the national analysts, assuming that Aaron Rodgers, a healthy Aaron Rodgers, is going to lead the Jets to a top four seed. I think there's a lot of convenient, there's no real defense of Deshaun right now. And right now, like, it, it goes back to the excuses thing. Guys, if you say Deshaun's health 
was the biggest issue with his 2023. That's not an excuse. It was a shoulder injury, his throwing shoulder, and he plays the quarterback position in the NFL. And his numbers still are pretty good if you factor in the shoulder excuse. It's not an excuse. It's a reason. Two years ago, it wasn't an excuse that the guy hadn't played football in 700 days. That's a real thing. But because there's just a natural perception issue with Deshaun, people are not rooting for Deshaun because of why he was suspended and and why he was sued. People are not rooting for Deshaun because it is unpopular to force your way out of a team like he did with Houston before the allegations. And then 700 days and all these different things. If Deshaun is healthy next year, the Browns are going to be in the playoffs. That not, You know how I know? Because they had subpar quarterback play, even with the vaunted Joe Flacco. The guy had a 4% interception percentage. That is alarmingly high. Any quarterback who wasn't fresh off the couch throws 4%. Jameis Winston is famous for throwing 4% interception. The dude gets benched. You're not talking about him as comeback player of the year. Perception. The perception is against the Browns. I don't give a rip about that. I care about reality, and I care about what the Browns do to make themselves better, and to whatever extent you can, Deshaun proof this roster this offseason. They did it last year, and it's proven by their 11-win season. They do it this offseason, they're going to be just fine. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places.